engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 257. And this week on the show, my buddy Furter and I are joined by the First Light crew up at my family deer camp to swap hunting stories, laugh a lot, talk gear, and gush over our favorite big game species. So, welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast, brought to you by Onyx. For the second time in three episodes or four episodes, we are back doing a deer camp podcast. For um, for good reason, too. I got, I don't know if you knew this, Josh, but I got a lot of emails and messages and stuff saying that some people thought that was one of their favorite episodes, the one we did with, with Dad. That was cool. You had a good couple guests on that episode. I think that was probably what did it. That, that might be it. Speaking of which, I thought a good way to start today would be for each one of our real guests here today. We got Jordan, Greg, and Ford. I would like each of you to share your favorite Furter story of the week. Because I've told you guys a whole bunch of stories about Furter. Um, what stands out to you, for, Ford, is your favorite story about Furter that I shared? Can you come back to me? Yeah. I got to think through all of the ones I've heard. <laughs> Greg? Oh, man. I was hoping I was going to get to go last. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite further story to this point, man, I hate to be cliche, but I think it's the birthday cake story. The birthday cake story. <laughs> yeah. I know that was a front runner for a lot of people here, but there's something special about the birthday cake story. Have I told the birthday cake story on the podcast, Josh? I'm sure you have. I, I think don't we know can probably we, skip it. No, I don't know if we did. <laughs> I'll give the real Cliff Notes version, but we were maybe 13 or 14, and it was my birthday. And for my birthday party, I had a bunch of like my buddies all spent the night, and we set up a tent in the backyard of like our suburban neighborhood. And we were all going to camp in the tent in the backyard. Real, real civil, low-key stuff. And uh, we're all heading out to the tent in the evening, and uh, I happened to bring up the fact, oh, you know what? Uh, there's actually coyotes. We've been hearing coyotes out here. And I got this one friend who back in that day, you know, he, he liked to partake in the food truck, you know. 
he was just a little bit my buddies called him squash back in the day before he was furter he was called squash <laughs> got a lot of good nicknames throughout the years and so squash squash heard me say something about coyotes and he turned and looked at me and his eyes were, were huge like like eight balls and he says to me uh I better bring this birthday cake back inside. <laughs> he went racing back inside. And I think your phone makes that funky noise when you bring it close to your mic, by the way. Yeah. Um, He's trying to interfere with the story. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. Is, he is trying to trying to get the further story stopped. But the further train is moving. Um, so that's the birthday cake story. And I actually gave the speech at Furter's wedding. I was the best man in his wedding, and I gave the speech. And in that speech, I managed to bring up the birthday cake story. And so brought it up kind of midway through the speech. And then my line to end the speech was, uh, and Josh, make sure you don't take any birthday cake in your uh, honeymoon suite tonight. <laughs> yeah, you, you fit in a couple good ones in that. Uh-huh. I told that, the uh, birthday speech. cake story. I also told the archery story, which maybe someone's going to forget Yeah, I was going to jump in and say that was my favorite one. <laughs> Especially the delivery off of, you know, when you referred to a friend that would not be named. Mm-hmm. Came all the way around. That was good. It yeah. wasn't a giveaway that I was sitting here just, like, trying to hide <laughs> behind my hat or something. Not immediately to me, but. Yeah. No, not until he said Marks was saying that it was sixty to seventy yards off the mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your whole head just kind of sank a little bit. It was big time embellishment though on Mark's part. No, I I don't do that with my stories, but I'll tell you what, this this squash guy, he did miss the target by sixty to seventy yards. He hit the driveway, it ricocheted over the road and hit a vehicle. Regional director, ladies and gentlemen, right here. <laughs> As you can see, this is what we've been doing all weekend, just sitting around, or not weekend, I guess during the week, but sitting around and Mark telling embarrassing stories about me, and yeah. pretty much like, par for the course these days, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like you may kind of been asking for it, making him the best man at your wedding, knowing you had yeah, all this ammo on true. you. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm t- I, I told you guys, I go, one of these days, one of these days is going to come <laughs> crashing down for Mark. I'm going to get my revenge. I want to give I want to give you further some big props, because I did like call you I don't know, a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever and say hey we've got a group of guys from first like coming to deer camp for a few days um would you have any interest in coming along and just kind of helping out like it'd be nice to have someone else who kind of knows the ropes who could kind of help run the camp so that i can you know be working and doing different things like that and uh you were so kind to accept that and you run a top shelf camp it's been a lot of fun i've had a good time yeah you run an absolute top shelf camp. So, so yeah, we're here up at the cabin. Furter's here running the running the ship. Over here to my left, I got Jordan. Howdy, Jordan. Can you tell us uh, your your ten second cliff note introduction? Who yeah. you are, what you're doing here? Yeah, I'm Jordan Riley. I am one of the owners of Captured Creative up here, shooting stills and footage for the last couple of days. Yes, now continuing around the clock clockwise, we go to Ford. Sitting on the leather couch. Sitting on the leather couch. Ford Van Fossen, content manager, first light. Next up, we got Greg. Yeah, I'm Greg Farrell. I'm the product operations manager at First Light here. Uh, yeah, working with you guys, trying out some gear and talking product development. Yeah. Getting some time in the tree stand. It's been great. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like when I pitched coming up to this camp, it was months ago. I think when we first had this, these conversations, and I'd, I'd mentioned, well, I got two different options. We could go down south, and we could hunt, and we'd probably see 
good number of deer, but it wouldn't be quite as interesting of an experience. We'd have to, you know, stay in a hotel or something, um, or maybe the guest bedroom of my house, but we have a 10-month-old baby. That wouldn't be much fun. Um, or we could go up to my northern Michigan deer camp, one-room cabin, no electricity, no water, you know, wood-burning stove, all that, but not as many deer. Now that you have lived this hunt, the trip is coming to a conclusion. Um, so, well, you you guys chose option B. Now that you've lived that, uh, are you happy with that choice, or do you wish that we'd gone with option A? I'll jump in here first, I guess. Um, we were actually just having this conversation at dinner. I I think uh, my exact words were I would spend a couple days at a place like this and see less deer over living out of a hotel and seeing more deer. This is the uh, quintessential, in my eyes, deer camp experience. It's, uh, it's a really cool place, a lot of history, um, kind of the old school Midwestern deer camp scenario it's hard to beat yeah. i love it it's great yeah it just doesn't <clears throat> not that i'm i'm new to midwestern deer camps on the grand scheme of things but it doesn't seem much you could get much more classic than looking at 20 odd sets of horns here on the wall above the wood stove and a mm-hmm. single room cabin yeah you guys posted a picture of the wall of fame here on the first light instagram account and someone commented and said that it looks like a row of drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They weren't real impressed with some of the uh, <laughs> some of the antlers on the wall here. <laughs> yep, yeah, different different place, different deer, different, different times. Different times. We got a bunch here on the wall from the '60s. I see some '73s. I see a '65, um, '95. <laughs> Stretches the whole whole lot of time here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan, you've been you're a Minnesota guy. Yeah. Did you ever get? Do you have a deer camp type situation, kind of like this, anywhere that you partaked in back in the day? Yeah, yeah. My uh, my grandparents live in northern Minnesota, kind of northeastern Minnesota. So growing up, ever since I was really little, we'd go up there. Uh, they actually had more of a trailer set up, but it was still you know just kind of same deal. No electricity, no running water. Tell stories about the big bucks that you've seen in the past, and mm-hmm. probably not see too terribly much during the days when you actually do go hunting but it's those stories that you know kind of resonate for the good old days yeah do you think i always wonder like if the good old days really were a thing or if it's just every generation thinks that the good old days were good like 30 years from now are we gonna be looking back at this and be like oh those are the good old days um and it's just selective memory i think there's enough history on the wall that would show they did have some good old days Yes, you I know, guess that's true um, in this in this instance. They've got some some proof to back it up. Man, our neighbor, we were chatting with our neighbor the other day. He stopped in to uh, have a couple beverages with us and chit-chat, and he told us that he saw six bucks out on the neighboring property here, two of which were as big as our biggest buck on the wall here. Two more supposedly were bigger. I'd like to believe that. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe that. Especially when it's your neighbor saying that. Yeah. yeah. I definitely want to believe that. Yeah. Well, it keeps you coming up here and keeps you wanting to get out there mm-hmm. in the woods and, you know, maybe run into one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's chat about the hunt real quick then. Me and Jordan were hunting together. Jordan running the camera. Yeah. I was on the bow. And um, what we hunted, it's a pretty quick trip. Hunted one evening, one morning, another evening. Yep. Um. Do you want to you wanna walk us through what happened? 
from your perspective. From, I'm curious. Yeah. What is it like to hunt with me as a cameraman? Because I was on the Meat Eater podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I was with a cameraman on that show. Uh, or he was filming me for their show. And he was also on the podcast. And so he was like kind of, we were kind of all sharing stories about what that was like. And Steve was talking about him and his cameraman dynamic. And I was chatting with my cameraman about our, our dynamic. And then someone on, going back to Instagram comments, <laughs> someone made a whole spiel about how they thought that I sound like a horrible person to have to hunt with. <laughs> and how I, I chastise and criticize my cameraman all the time. I was actually going to ask Jordan how Mar- if Mark was mean to him at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he no, cried man, once. We had a good time in the tree. <laughs> I liked it a lot. It was, I mean, and going back to it too, it's what I've grown up doing. So it's, you know, it's natural for me to climb 18 feet up in a tree and sit still for hours at a time. And I mean, there definitely is the aspect of still needing to do my job and getting the shots that are needed, but try to try to do my best to not screw everything up for the guy with the bow or gun. We were talking about the dynamic of cameramen messing up hunts these days uh, and, and whether it's better to have a cameraman first or a hunter first or both. But right. I've been on a lot of hunts with Jordan. I can pretty confidently say he's never screwed a hunt up in any way, shape, or form that I'm aware of at least. That's good. Pretty good record. Yeah, I thought he was Trying. a pro. I thought he was a pro. Real, yeah. real quiet, real still. Um, so quiet. Like I didn't even know when he was fiddling around with the camera. In past situations, sometimes you hear like, loud noises when they start filming or starting to do something i would never know it so i'd kind of turn around to start chatting with them about something and then there's that camera, camera in my face camera I no idea face. <laughs> i've actually deemed good. jordan as my good luck charm yeah yeah he's been uh, he's been hot for me the last yeah. year or so here he's made it happen some, huh i've had more luck with jordan in the tree than i have by myself oh, I, I wish mean. wish you would have brought that for this trip feral <laughs> <laughs> used all the luck yeah, we, yeah. yeah. Couldn't, we split them up that was the problem yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. So, so sorry. Continue. Tell us, tell us about your perspective from the rest of the the couple of days. What happened? What did we see? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not not too terribly much. I mean, from a content perspective, <laughs> this, will be, this will be a quick story. From, from a content perspective, it was great. Um, until about what eight thirty this morning when a oh. little little noise walking through the woods. Some does apparently didn't like what they. Yeah, smell coming downwind there. Come downwind of us, blow, blow us out. Jordan, what's the sound a deer makes when it's nervous? Good, good catch. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's earth shattering disappointment. No, no, no. We want to hear it. Yeah, you're the sound effect man. (sighs) (laughs) And then you look at Mark's face. (laughs) Yeah, the mouth noises from. uh, Yeah. What else did we hear in the trip? Bald eagle. Man, I'm Let's gonna hear. be deemed like the sound effects guy. Yeah, you are the sound effects guy. Let's hear your bald eagle. Oh, I got it. Put me on the spot, man. <laughs> you just did it. It was very good. I, I did, but that was no pressure, and I was sitting in the backseat of a truck. Now everybody's staring at me. My face is getting all red. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody yeah. look at Jordan. Okay, sorry. Yeah, nobody Everyone look. look away. Everyone look at Furter. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not going to be able to crack it. I'm not going to be able to do it. No. I, I, what about the mallard? Oh, I can maybe you did, you I did the mallards of Wayne Wessel because we had mallards flying over us. Oh, that's real good. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> good that's a good one. I'll try a bald eagle. That's now now you yeah, absolutely better than that. You'll be much yeah, better than yeah, that. That's something I really want to be known for. I think just sound effects. On okay, cue. well, at some point. During this episode, I would We're really encourage you that. to just jump in with the bald eagle when you work <laughs> your way up. Right to when it. you're least expecting it, all. Yeah, 
Yeah, because that, that is a cool sound, actually. We did see bald eagles. We that saw mallards. Cool. We had the four does come down, wind us. And that was kind of it, unfortunately. Although, saw, saw a pretty good amount of sign. Really good sign. Bunch of scrapes around the spots we hunted the first day and morning. Yeah. And then this evening, I got thinking, well, like my traditional little honey hole here, excuse me, has never been the same since Furter hunted it. <laughs> That's true. It is true. Because usually this is the spot I always hunt, and we mentioned this last time we were here. Josh got here a day early, so I said, hey, you can, you can hunt the, the food plots. And so he went and hunted it. You saw three bucks, mm-hmm. and there's not been a deer seen since well, acting normally walking through there. Well, what can I say? <laughs> I know how to keep them away. I guess so. <laughs> so then, though, this evening, I was like, you know what? Let's just go check out a new area um that I haven't hunted in a very long time and just kind of hang and hunt just scout our way in and try to find something and there was fresh snow on the ground so I was hoping you know uh, maybe we could cut a fresh track and set up on that and see if something might come back through this afternoon and it took us a long a longer time to find some fresh sign than I was hoping but we did finally work our way far back to the north, up through this kind of high ground area towards the swamp. There's, there's a creek that runs, and we angle our way that way. And um, just before we got to that creek, I was trying to make my way kind of angling towards this flooded area. A long time ago, there's a bunch of beavers in the area flooded up, dammed up with this creek, and large flooded area that now has a lot of dead trees and cattails and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's a decent amount of activity along that kind of tra- that habitat transition. And um, so we were kind of angling toward that. And then I happened to see what looked like like a, an oval patch where there was no snow. Like off the, I don't know if you noticed, but we were walking. I stopped. Mm-hmm. I pulled up my binoculars because I just caught this, like, looked like a bed. And um, pulled up the binos, and sure enough, had to be a bed. And so we walked over to it, and sure enough, there's two beds there, some fresh tracks. So I figured, okay, we probably bumped a couple does out of their beds when we were walking in here. So then we stood around for a little bit, and I'm thinking, well, I mean, this isn't a buck bed. Um, so we probably just bumped a couple of those, but it is the first sign we've seen of deer in the area at all. And, you know, it might be an, a sign of a little bit more going on. So I thought, well, let's, let's move up kind of upwind of this little stretch of pines, those patch high ground, see what else we see. So we slowly snuck our way around here. And, um, as we come around the edge again, along this transition between, you can kind of see the cattails and there's this high patch with some pines on it. And as we're coming along that line, I noticed a little rub, tiny, tiny little tree. I'm like, oh, well, hey, that's good, something. I guess. It's something. And then we're standing there kind of looking at it and just kind of perusing the scene around us. And I'm like, oh, there's another one, a little bigger tree. We go walk over to that. I'm like, okay, now we're seeing something. Oh, here's some more fresh tracks. And then while we're standing there, oh, there's a nice rub. It's a big rub. It went way up tall on the yeah, tree. Yeah, there's some scale to that one. Yep. So we're looking at that. I'm like, man, that's a good rub for around here. And then I'm like, oh, that that can't be what I think it is. And I go take a step around. There's a big pine tree that's like six inches in diameter maybe. And that sucker was rubbed up. I've never seen a tree that big rubbed up up here before. Um, so then I was like excited. Like we just found like a little zone. What 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 kind of screamed out to me is like a buck bedding area. Like this could be a little patch. I mean, it's kind of a prototypical little buck bed kind of spot. You're on a little bit of a point that kind of extends into that stuff. A little bit of high ground. And um, with all these rubs concentrating in this little area, that seemed to scream out, good spot. So we're like, oh, well, you know, if there was something bedded here, we definitely bumped it. But um, we got nothing better to do. Might as well set up and try to hunt it. And that's yeah. what we did. I wouldn't call that approach stealthy. No. The whole walk in there. No. It was 
so crunchy. crunchy super crunchy lots of lots of standing water that was frozen and there's just no way to yeah. get through there without crunching ice and long story short we did not see a deer tonight but you but know we you, you know, cut fresh snacks fresh tracks there right though? yes yep and it was did you think they were buck or doe tracks there were a bunch of doe tracks did not mm-hmm. end up cutting the buck yep. but because of the rubs we were hoping that well yeah you know there's a lot of area around there we didn't walk around yet maybe there there had been um so we didn't see any deer but what we did see were two birds one with a white head and it sounded like something something like that closer yeah. <laughs> i think it's, it's closer than marks yeah closer than marks <laughs> <laughs> a little higher pitched you had it, you had just, it last time a little bit but that was good that three was tone good. twitter um yeah so that was our deer hunt greg your yeah. deer hunt wasn't too terribly different no, it's similar. I um, did a kind of a hanging hunt the first night. Um, Ferger put me on to a good spot where he had seen decent buck um, a couple weeks ago. So we kind of went in there and picked a spot closer to where that deer had walked through. And you guys had a camera over there, so you know there's good deer movement in the area. And yeah. Got a set hung and sat the first evening, and it was quiet. Um we had a little bit of a cold front. I mean, it was cold already, but a little bit of a cold front coming through that evening, it seemed like, because that next morning it was, which was pretty chill. This morning it was pretty chilly. Yeah, and ended up seeing four does, five does this morning. Um, they kind of worked through. I think it was the same group that kind of scooted by you guys and yeah. uh, moved on towards me, and then ended up sitting the same set. Wanted to give that set one more try tonight. Again, it was quiet, but it's, I mean, typical kind of, for when I used to, uh, north woods, low deer densities, but awesome country. I mean, about as beautiful as you can get in terms of a sit. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's pretty country up here. Yeah. yeah. Can I interject a quick question? Yeah. Yeah. When people talk about seeing, you know, you just said you saw four does or five does, which five does, four does, doesn't matter. That's doesn't not matter. the point of the question. Is that imply that you saw four antlerless deer? Because I guess where I'm going is often I'll see four, you know, where I grew up whitetail hunting, I'd see four or five antlerless deer, likely one or two of which would be actually a button buck. Mm. When people say, I saw four does, are you saying that you actually saw four confirmed does? Are you saying, are you using that as shorthand for four antlerless deer? That's a good question for Uh I find myself lots of times my initial gut reaction is to the latter. I'll say, ah, I saw four does, but it's actually maybe two mature does and a couple fawns, one of which maybe was a button buck, one was a doe, I don't know. And then sometimes they'll be like, well, actually, two were button bucks, two were does or something like that. But I often do find myself defaulting to antler list and just call them does. Yeah. But I don't know. Is that is that the norm for you guys? What do you or? think, Greg? Yeah. I would say um, – Because you're the one that brought it up just now, I suppose. Yeah, no, no, no. That used to – sometimes. Sometimes that's definitely the case, especially when they move through quick. You don't get a good look at them, but – um, the last, I don't know, probably five or six years, I've really tried to, even when I see antlerless deer, get out my binos and confirm if they were does or potentially button bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, this group actually worked through it probably 20, 25 yards. So I was able to get a good look at them. Um, and it was definitely all, all does, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Especially yeah. when they move through quick, you know, and if they're not close, some can be hard to tell, especially at the naked eye. Have any of you guys ever killed? A button buck mistakenly. 
I have. have a thousand dough. Which is why. Yep. Now I'll try and check a little bit closer. Yeah, it hasn't yeah. happened to me yet, but I've always, you know, I always fear that. Yeah. I'm always really scouring it and just like, God, my eyes playing tricks on me, or am I sure that's a dough? But it happens so often, it seems like. Yeah. Furter, have you done that? I've not. You've not done that? No. But I'm, I'm in the same boat as Greg. Like, um, if they just go through real quick and I can't identify them, you know, it's all four does or whatever but if i'm able to get my binos up and and um really see him and identify him i'll say oh i saw a button buck or um but yeah i've I've not shot a button buck but to your point it does happen all the time knock on wood yeah knock on wood. doe season for you and me is starting here pretty soon how many does do you want to get this year josh um i'd like to shoot two yeah just for my personal brings up an interesting point we were talking about earlier so how many deer do you usually like two? Is that what you typically yeah, for your wife and you? Two, two to three. Yeah. My wife and I, we usually like to have at least like four. As long as we've got four, we're okay. But if I don't have four and it's like late December, my wife is on me. Like, get out yeah. there and hunt does. What are you doing? We need meat. Got to have four minimum. So you're doing four minimum, two of you. And then what percentage of your animal proteins game would you say? Oh, uh, 99%. Yeah. I mean, there's the occasional store-bought chicken, very rarely, but mm-hmm. otherwise I said. Yep. Um, and then we do, um, in the past, we buy like half a hog from an Amish farmer mm-hmm. for some pork. Mm-hmm. Um, but red meat, 100%. Yeah. And four. Yeah. Dough units. So yes. And sometimes, you know, if, if I'm lucky, certain years, like, right, caribou, had a caribou in there last year. So I had a caribou and four does. Or no, sorry, caribou and four deer. Well, I guess no, last year was all does because I didn't kill a buck last year. This year, I've got a little leftover caribou. I've got two bucks and um, still eating some venison from last year. But would like to get a minimum of two more. Um, what about you? Greg, I think you were the guy who like caught me off guard with how many you put in there. Yeah, it was a big number. Yeah, I typically, it's kind of interesting. We were doing some like body mass math last Calculations. night. Calculations. Yeah, but yeah. Um, from a whitetail's pr- perspective, um I like to put about six in the freezer every year. Um, and I'm with Mark. I mean, I'm 99.9% yep. you know, wild game consumption. I haven't, fortunately, I haven't really had to go out and purchase meat other than that, just because cho- that's what I choose to eat. But um, I also have a lot of family members and friends who really enjoy the venison too, and I like to be able to gift it to them. And I like to be generous with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to have like a cushion. So exactly. you're not just sort of desperately. Yes, exactly. 100%. Squirreling it away. Yeah. But I've found even with, you know, whether it's actually six whitetails or if you do the math and figure out, oh, okay, I got a cow elk this year, a mule deer, and kind of figuring that much protein or meat per se, yep. um, the freezer will be empty come September, October of the following year. Cow elk, mule deer, whitetail buck. Am I missing something else? And then uh, two whitetail does this year. And two does. Yep. 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 So how, and it's 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 every single meal? Are you punching in, like, yeah. breakfast venison, lunch yep. venison, dinner venison? See, I feel like we're more like one venison meal, if even a night, maybe, like, four nights a week, maybe five nights a week. Yeah, I bet you we'd eat venison four to five nights a week. Yeah. If I had to guess. But I'm with you. We're I'd say we're 100% game. Yeah, I'm definitely – I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll go out, go out to dinner on Friday, Saturday night and mm-hmm. have a burger, you know, whatever, but – yeah. Um, other than the, you know, the maybe weekly going out to dinner one night a week, it's either six nights or 
venison. I'm not very good at cooking for like small groups. It's like one or two or three. So typically I'll make like a huge dinner, whether it's massive pot of chili, big old roast, even, you know, steaks, I'll throw eight on the grill. Yeah. And then that becomes dinner for that night, a little bit of leftover for breakfast, something for lunch the next day and then roll it over. But I mean, more often than not, yeah, it's it's part of three meals a day, I would say, for myself. It's a good way to live. Hmm? I like it. What's, I don't complain. What's your number, Ford? You know, we're still you figuring said. our equivalent out, I'd say. Um, we actually we had one deer last year, which is slim, for sure. Stretched that with a lot of lentils, I'd say. <laughs> but, uh, that sounds like a horrible term, yeah. <laughs> just personally, in my opinion. Um, I, think, I think where I want to be is about an elk and a deer a year ish seems that's what that's what we got right now okay we're we're gonna have a little bison here it looks like hopefully if things go well and then i think yeah probably elk and deer by the time we've given some away probably a full elk and a deer yeah can you talk about that bison thing or is that yeah i think so doug's not here so no he doesn't know we're giving away it's not What's but, the story on that? Because a bison hunt is a pretty very unique. Yeah, I'm actually. I will. I'll leave out what hunt it is because yeah. I don't want to draw my sure. change the draws for myself yeah. next year. Because my buddy drew it. He's actually his his hunting <clears throat> list so far, which I think has been entirely with me. I was with him when he shot his first whitetail, which was a button buck, which he wasn't supposed to shoot. <laughs> Separate Speaking story. Of the hill. He went from the button buck to. Uh, this uh, DIY chamois hunt we did in New Zealand on public land. Jeez. So we went right, right to the mountain mountain hunt from there, and uh, he did. He has done some Colorado elk hunting unsuccessfully in between, but then he went ahead and drew a um, a bison tag in the West this year on the first year he put in, I think, as as he tends to do. It seems like, and uh, so yeah, we'll be we'll be doing a little bison hunt here in about two weeks, I think. And what's your role in that? Uh, porter, guide, <laughs> all camp the above. manager, yeah, camp wheel. manager, yeah, support, camp manager. <laughs> all, all the above. Job. And I, I think certainly packing out is going to be. Yeah. So you were telling me you had some ideas about how you might be yeah. able to do that because this is a very large animal. Very large animal. It's, it is a cow tag he drew, but I believe I'm. I don't want to. I, I think cows weigh between maybe a thousand and twelve hundred pounds still. Wow. As opposed to 2,000, I think, for a bull. Um, so getting it out is definitely a challenge. Um, the plan, the running plan right now, which may be foolish and may not be, is to um, either tour in on touring skis to hunt, with you know, skis with skins, um, shoot the thing, and then sort of skid it out on load sleds, um, which load sleds, which are used typically for hauling gear into backcountry ski huts um out on the snow at least that's our running plan right now not really sure the good thing is there's a there's an extraction service if if stuff hits the fan proverbially we can call and they bring a draft horse out wow and they'll pack it out i think we're going to try and avoid doing that just Mm -hmm. because of the expense but if we get in a pinch or what have you or the snow's not deep enough or our plan doesn't play out i think we'll have their phone number also Kind of nice as a backup plan. For yeah. sure. Although I, I, I like the sled idea. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. It, it depends. The area we're going to be hunting them in, in theory, is I don't think super, super. It's kind of in a valley in a real mountainous area. Uh-huh. Um, 
So I, in my head, it's like flattish and dragging stuff around on sleds with skis is going to be possible. But it could certainly be the kind of thing when you get there and it's just totally not an option. Yeah, like what happens when you got a downhill and you've got 400 pounds of meat that's sliding down behind you? Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it'll I think it'll work okay, but yeah, I mean, we're, and certainly I think. Do you ride the sled down? Do you just sit on the sled? <laughs> I think you kind of you kind of cruise down because going downhill with climbing skins on your skis is also kind of not a not a positive outcome either. So I think you try and avoid super steep stuff. And I also think I doubt we'll be, you know, I imagine us putting a rear quarter that maybe weighs two hundred pounds on the sled and going Do it out piece by piece. Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna you know try and get half a half the bison on the on the sled at one time i think but again it's all it's going to be a big learning experience i think just even breaking one down it's going to be sounds really interesting a lot of havlon blades i yeah. think are going to be i'm very intrigued yeah <laughs> like you were saying like how do you even gut a bison yeah whether you pull the two quarters off the uphill side so to speak or, or the exposed side and then you pull the guts out i mean i can almost see myself like entering the bison rib cage trying mm-hmm. to pull the guts and whatnot <laughs> out so i don't i don't know how it's gonna go it'll be an adventure warm Great up adventure. in there a little bit yeah, yeah exactly wow. um geez jordan what's your deer number in the freezer i bet between my wife and i we probably do about two a year to you um, yeah this year is kind of a frantic experience this summer in july i lost my chest freezer so oh yeah you told me about that yeah it's true that is the worst nightmare i can imagine the most sick i think i've ever felt about anything like that it was miserable just yeah. going into the garage after a, a weekend away with family coming back and smelling and then kind of knowing before you even open the freezer what what's going Terrible. on in there God. That that event single-handedly caused me to go out, and by go out, I guess in this day and age, it means go on to Amazon, go on to Amazon. <laughs> and purchase a freezer alarm. Yeah, yeah. so I never even knew that was that. a thing until you told me about it. Yeah, today. yeah, mm-hmm. I think Explain I sold that. a few of them after yeah, telling I, this story. But I bought one too. Yeah, you? I guess yeah. I don't know too terribly much about them, but um, the one that I'm looking into at least is kind of like temperature regulated, so if it... You yep. know, if it gets up above a certain degree yeah. in the freezer, it'll let you know. So you can go check it before anything gets. Yeah, it's out it's real anything. basic. It was twenty or thirty bucks. This is almost like I feel like this is a sales pitch for the freezer. <laughs> yeah. <for> a while, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's essentially it's got a remote unit that goes into the freezer, sits in there, and then it wirelessly connects to a little thermostaty looking deal that you know is in my kitchen, and it tells me. Room temperature is 62, and freezer temperature is negative 5 right now. And if the freezer hits, you can program the number. I think mine's 20 degrees. It starts beeping in, you know, the most irritating of ways and lets you know that something's something's amiss. Are there ones that you can get that, like, goes to your phone? That's like, what I was like a Wi-Fi? Yep, there are. Yes, definitely. They, I, I mean, they go home, up and up what? and up for yeah. sure in terms of, I think, quality yeah. and whatnot. Like, in your scenario, you weren't home, so you wouldn't hear it yeah exactly so like exactly and yeah i mean i guess it's kind of changed my program too because before that i'd I'd probably only been checking the freezer once a week you know so even if it was only a couple days i probably could have saved it but Mm -hmm. yeah so now i'll definitely be a little bit more paranoid checking every single time i walk walk by it i actually had that happen to me that first my first year ever that i shot oh yeah but that was your that was when house. I was still living at home, like right house. after college. Yeah, you were about 30. And my and dad had, had unplugged something <laughs> in the garage. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Not really. My dad had unplugged something in the garage, and he unplugged the wrong cord, oh. and he unplugged the freezer, and it was... Did you resent him for that? I was pissed yeah. for a while. That was your first deer? The first his deer. His first deer yeah, rotted away in his yeah. dad's freezer. Yeah. Oh. It was just a horrible feeling, and he felt he felt really, really bad. So I, now looking back, I was I feel bad that I was... I was pretty hard on him about it. Really hard on him, and I I feel bad now because I know how bad he felt about it. Are you mean to your dad? No, no. (laughs) Are you as mean to your dad as we are to my dad? No, (laughs) we're not mean to your dad. We just Uh, we just like to have a good time with him. I don't. I uh, we were telling these guys that back in the day we always used to go to your house. You know, we in high school or college we'd go out. You know, doing whatever we do late at night with our friends and stuff. And um, Josh's house was like a. A friendly place to crash after the evening. That was like his basement was a good place. It was centrally located. You knew it'd be open and available. So we'd all, me and a bunch of our buddies, would all go and we'd all crash at your house tonight. And your dad is just like Greg, in that he can be like he can be talking, and then seconds later, mid conversation, he'll just be passed out. Oh, I can't tell you how many times my dad has just passed out mid conversation with me just yeah out. yeah and then the cool thing about your dad though is when he passes out i feel like this is and you tell me if this is not accurate but i feel like every time i've ever seen him sleeping i've seen him sleeping many times having come over to your house like this he's always snoring with his mouth wide open i oh, mean yeah. big, big time snoring, wide open mouth yep. his belly is just heaving up and down <laughs> Hey, he listened to this sometimes, so you better <laughs> take it easy. Now. And we used to you used to have a big, a big husky dog, and we would take big dog biscuits and stick them in your dad's mouth, and your dog would jump up and start French kissing him <laughs> in the biscuit. He like jump like right on he his belly, jump. and he, my dad ooh like freak out and lunge up, and uh, yeah, oh. we, were, we gave him a hard time about that. We were, we were pretty mean. Uh, that story it was all in good fun. Never gets old. I love thinking about that every time. Um, now I don't know where I was going. I had a plan in my head, and we start started talking about Frank and Furter, Frank and Furter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all thrown off. Um, which brings me back to Greg, and the fact that you guys are here. I thought it was pretty cool. That you guys reached out and were interested in spending some time together. Um, you know, started started working with First Light this year, which has been a cool experience, getting to know everyone a little bit a little bit better, but. The fact that you guys have have reached out pretty proactively and quite a bit to get, you know, some thoughts from me on some of the gear and um, get to test out some different things and then to to spend some, you know, quality time like this. I was I was excited about that Um, from your guys perspective. You know, what what were you guys hoping to achieve, you know, here doing this? And it definitely seems like you guys are prioritizing what we've got going on here in the whitetail world. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, for, for a while now, and I don't, this is not a recent thing. I mean, we've been making gear that we've used in the whitetail woods since 2007. And, you know, from that inception of the company, the, the ethos has always been making super versatile gear that will, you know, keep you comfortable in a wide variety of situations. And, you know, initially that, offering that spattering of gear was it was smaller than it is now you know as a startup company we've grown a lot since then um but to that point we've also you know we've grown to a point now where you know previously the offerings that we had like i said were very versatile and you could use them east to west and we we still believe that's true i mean 
the ethos in most of our design is to design very versatile pieces that can be used anywhere. But that being said, um, you know, I'm a Wisconsin guy. I grew up in the Midwest and cut my teeth on whitetails. There's something to be said for somewhat specialized pieces for specific use cases. Um, and we know that we know that about the West, we know that about the East, you know, we know that about the Midwest and a big push for us, you know, I would say since probably 2012, 2013, when we really started coming out with some specific whitetail gear is to continue to push that movement. And we really want to do the same thing we've done with our Western gear in the whitetail space. And that is create products that are revolutionary. We have really no intention on copying what's out there or making things very similar to what's out there. We want to take, you know, what we've done in our entire company and all the products that we've released and focus some of that attention and some of that product development and some of that, you know, desire to push the boundaries specifically in this whitetail space, because we think that there's room to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And a big part of, you know, why we reach out to you and want to spend some time with you is, you know, we know we can get a lot more done in a few days of talking face to face and hunting together and, you know, talking shop around a cool camp like this about things that we want, things that you want, you know, where you see that we can improve, where we think we can improve and, you know, knock heads for a few days on stuff like that. And we can get a lot done. And our goal is to, you know, there's very few guys that spend as many days in a tree stand as you do and who better to reference or to reach out to or to knock heads with on the stuff than somebody like that. Yeah. Well, I, pr- I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, to do that and get to, you know, share my perspective and everything. And, and I've always thought whether it be product feedback or just deer hunting knowledge or something, I've never ever thought of, of like me and my perspective being all that terribly important or useful, but I do get a unique opportunity to talk to so many different people, all these different people that spend a whole lot of time in the woods that are really good at what they do, and I get to soak in all that. And I feel like if if I'm helpful in any kind of way, I think it's just by like being a conduit for all these other people's information and getting to people. So I think maybe that's, if, if I can be helpful at all, it might be in that way. I can get a lot of different people's feedback to you guys, and I think that's what I've been trying to do a little bit, and that's that's cool. I don't yeah, I definitely think that's true, and, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, and I think ultimately for any of these pieces that we design or that we're trying to bring to market, really, in my eyes, you know, as a product guy, where we can make strides and where we can make improvements is talking to, working with, and being a part of a spattering of people that spend a lot of days in the field. Yeah. You know, I know for myself, um, you know, I... Like I said, grew up in the Midwest, spent a fair amount of time out West. I've recently um, relocated back to the Midwest. Um, you know, I know for myself in those years that I was specifically living out West, I would still get back and, you know, I'd get 10, 12, 14 days in a tree. But when you get that number of days in a tree, your focus is on just getting the job done. You know, my focus was on, hey, I'm here for a short amount of time. I'm really focused on hunting, you know, the rut. I'd love to kill a good buck, X, Y, and Z. You know, when you're present in a specific whitetail space for an entire season, you know, we're early December now, right? Most Mm -hmm. of us started hunting, sitting in a tree stand mid-September, early October. You know, when you get that 
40, 50 days in a tree, your focus changes a little bit. Yeah. And it's much less, hey, I need to kill a big buck now, or hey, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And you really have time to start nitpicking. Well, should the zipper go this direction? Should this pocket actually be here? You know, what am I missing in this piece? What do I wish was a little bit different about that? And those perspectives, you know, in our eyes, and especially in product development, those are the perspectives that enact major changes and revolutionary changes and, you know, pieces that either already exist, you know, changes to them or new pieces that we need to come out with. Yeah. So those perspectives of those, you know, the guys like yourself or anybody else that gets those high number of days in a tree are extremely valuable in product development. Yeah. Um, further, do you want to tell us what your favorite feature was on the sanctuary bibs? <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's one feature that I could see myself using quite often actually. Uh, and there's the, the there's old, so many stories about further yeah, related to this yeah. kind of feature. Yeah, on on the, <laughs> what, the sanctuary. Yeah, theme. The sanctuary bibs. Sanctuary bibs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a, like a emergency valve on the back side of them. You can zip open the your rear end and uh, have easy <laughs> access to uh, um, your undergarments if you need if you need to to use them all jokes aside so. like that is a really smart feature it's ingenious it, it's just it's just it's awesome human nature folks uh and anyone who listened to the podcast a couple weeks ago when i talked about the poop blind story you know that if i happened to be wearing that set of bibs it would have been a different scenario a little bit it would have been a lot easier um <laughs> so yeah i was really impressed with that just like speaking of which are you going to have that feature on the mid-season piece at any day? Or is there a reason why you didn't put it in the the mid-season prototype that I was using? Yeah, so um, that feature definitely serves when nature calls. Um, as you know, the Sanctuary bib is a very, it's a very cold weather piece. Yes. Um, so ironically, another reason for that feature is it's actually one of the best ways to dump heat. So as opposed to side zips, if you can open up the back of your pants with that zipper and leave that top section open, it's a great way to dump heat. So another reason that that's present in the sanctuary bibs is because they are so heavy, you can still wear them for your walk to the stand, dump a bunch of heat. Um, With the mid-season kit, being that it is designed for a more mild climate or mild temperature hunt, um, we didn't include that feature. Um, It can be a bit... It's it's some extra parts and pieces, right? And it's yeah. great when you need it. Um, with the mid-season kit, because it's designed to be used when it is warmer out, um, we knew that we weren't going to need to be able to dump as much heat out of those, so we didn't include that feature with those pieces. One thing I did really like about that mid-season kit was just it 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 did not feel bulky in any way, shape, or form. It was really nice and yeah, I, I always bring this up when I'm giving feedback. I, I don't like bulky stuff, and I, what I liked about that those mid-season pieces it was very lightweight. Um, so I like the fact that you want a, a relatively minimalist, um, style when it came to a lot of things there to keep it, you know, um, I'm missing the right word in my head, but, uh, not bulky trim. It's a trim athletic trim. piece. Yes. That's what I'm looking for. And trim and athletic is how I would typically Mark's middle name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank so, you squash. Yeah, I think we can talk maybe a little bit about that now. I'm, most of the listeners that have used our first light whitetail line before will be familiar with the Woodbury jacket, um, as well as potentially the Sanctuary kit. And one of our big focuses um, this year was the redesign of what we would consider a mid-season kit. And this is supposed to be your piece that 
you know, it's your mid to late October through the November rut. So basically through Thanksgiving and, you know, I was wearing it this week, Mm -hmm. you know, we were in the high twenties, low thirties. Um, and it's supposed to hit that sweet spot of when the majority of guys and gals are really focused on whitetails. And one thing that we did notice, the Woodbury is a great piece. I mean, we all use it a ton. I love that, that jacket, but it was a little bit too heavy for that sweet spot in terms of time on the calendar when you're going to be, you know, hunting the rut, pre-rut, post-rut, et cetera. So we went back to the drawing board with this piece and, um, we have a top and a bottom, a bib style bottom, and then a jacket to go along with it. And the focus is exactly what you're talking about, Mark. It's, it, we wanted it to be a trim piece that didn't feel bulky, that could take you through that entire season. Um, it would keep you warm, keep you dry, block the wind, super quiet, um, and it's easy to move around in. That was really our goal with that piece, you know, both the top and the bottom, that whole kit. Yeah. And I, and, and I had one version of the prototype, and I liked it quite a lot. Um, but I did have a few pieces of feedback. And already you've got uh, a modified version of that that seems to have taken a lot of those things that you'd read my mind before I even shared a bunch of stuff with you guys um, that seems like a, an even improved version of it, which I'm excited to try soon. Yeah, absolutely. So a big part of our design process is we don't want our customers to be the guinea pigs. And we got great guys like you and a bunch of other pro staff and field testers that kind of get a chance to use this stuff, you know, late in the development, but yet still with time to make modifications. So when we bring this product to market, it's been used for entire seasons. We've gathered a bunch of feedback on it. um, And we did exactly that with this piece. Um, The piece has got a bunch of cool features specific to the whitetail guy or gal, um, whether it's pocketing, whether it's pass-through for kangaroo pockets so you can keep thin gloves on to operate your release and even with your bow hand, you know, bulk there and things of that nature. But um, yeah, so let's, I want to make sure to mention that specifically because that is nice. You've got – so on the bib, right, you've got, you've got a regular center zip jacket. Correct. Um, so that, you know, you've got regular pockets in the jacket. But then on the inside, right, you're wearing your bibs – on the kind of just below your chest, there's a kangaroo pocket on the bibs. So what was smart about you guys, what you guys did here, is that you've got venting zippers on either side of the jacket. So you can open that up if you want to vent, but then it also allows you to create a hand opening to pass your hands into the jacket inside and then place them inside of the kangaroo pocket on the bibs, right? Correct. And that is a pretty a pretty nice way to get that kangaroo hand over type feature while still maintaining a regular jacket style. Um, that was pretty slick. Yeah, and, you know, that was a, a design feature that we struggled with for a while. You know, there's a bunch of different ways to integrate a, essentially a muff into the jacket, you know, whether it be with a different style of zipper, different configuration of zipper, etc. Um, some of those can be a little bit tough to operate at certain points. Um, but, you know, we knew that especially for whitetail bow hunters, um, we value the ability to not wear bulky gloves at any point. And really, you know, what I've found in that space is that the only way to really keep your hands warm if you're not wearing bulky gloves is they have to be close to your body and they have to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and another thing specific to, you know, I think the way most of us hunt is even if you only have a 400 yard walk into your stand, a lot of times you're not wearing your jacket in because you got to walk in, you got to climb your stand, etc. Yep. 
um, especially during the early season. So what we really wanted to do was we wanted to integrate that kangaroo, you know, that pouch pocket into the bib. So, you know, say it's October 15th and it's on the warmer end, you know, maybe that jacket never comes on, but yet you still have that pouch feature built into the bib because you may be wearing lighter layers on top of the bib over it or, you know, solo. Um, And then to the same realm, when it does get, you know, into early November, mid, late November, and you're going to integrate the jacket, we still want to be able to utilize that same pouch without adding bulk or a muff or a funky zipper, um, which is why we designed the pass-through pockets. Yeah, that's slick. Real quick, I want to put a timeout on this conversation because this is future Mark talking to you now, and I want to give you a heads up on something kind of cool that we decided to put out there. Given the fact that we had the first leg guys in to hunt with me, we wanted to to run a little special opportunity for everyone listening because I've been getting so many questions and emails, as I mentioned already, about what kind of first light stuff am I wearing. And we actually have first light gear for sale over on the Meat Eater website. And we're going to run a special promotion for you guys, giving you 20% off any of the first light that we've got on sale, plus free shipping on orders over $50. So you can get this stuff by going to TheMeatEater.com and then clicking over into the shop. And when you click into the shop, you're going to see all this stuff, stuff like the Sanctuary Bibs, the Sanctuary Jacket I was just talking about. That stuff is 20% off. And I've just been hearing from so many people that are interested in trying this stuff out. If, you, if you've been interested, this is a great time to do it. 20% off, $50 orders or more are free shipping by using promo code WIRED. That's W-I-R-E-D. Find that over at TheMeatEater.com. Click into the shop. You'll see it all right there. Now, back to the conversation. So for someone listening who they're already decked out in whatever stuff they like to wear, they don't care about First Light. They're not going to buy some new stuff, or they, they've got their own favorite brand or anything like that. I think what's interesting for that guy or girl still, what I've always found interesting, regardless of my brand affinities or whatever I'm wearing and stuff, is it's always kind of intriguing just to hear like what the process that goes into making high-end equipment like this. Like, Can you walk us through? Because uh, from, from what little insight I do have, it seems like it is a process. Like, it's not something you guys just, like, throw something at the wall and all of a sudden it happens. Talking to a number of different companies in different spaces, it's, it's always been interesting to me to hear about that, that behind the scenes where how does this go from, like, an idea or to a, hey, we need to start doing X for the whitetail guys and girls or whatever. What, what does that look like to the point where something actually finally does get launched to the world? That's a great question, and honestly, it's a question that I could not have answered before I had been involved in it. You know, because from an outside perspective, it... And I always had it too. I was guilty. It's like, oh, cool. You come up with something, you build it, you build it, and then you bring it to market, right? And Seems easy. Seems easy. <laughs> um, to that point, though, I mean, I joke with my friends at this point. I constantly am writing the wrong date, like when I write out checks and when I date things. Because in my world, we're working two years out. So right now, you know, we're working on products that are going to be coming out two years from now. So and 2020 stuff? Yep. We're, I mean, we're already into prototyping 2020 stuff. Wow. So, and that's how long it takes us to get through, you know, this basically from idea concept, like putting a list of bullet points on paper. This is what we, what we want to design. This is what it needs to do to essentially getting to a, you know, a vector diagram and architectural draft of that, building the first rounds of trial pieces, you know, getting those in-house and testing them going to second, third, fourth, fifth rounds before we even 
are feel confident in putting it in the hands of our pro staffers or our testers. You know, they get a full year in the pieces and then we got a little bit of time to make changes and you know, two years later that's when we can finally bring it to market. So it's definitely a lengthy process and we could make it go quicker. You know, we could get things to market much quicker than that, but a big part of where we come from as a company, and I mentioned this before, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but we don't want our customers to be the guinea pigs. You know, this stuff needs to be tested, perfected, perfect before it gets in the hands of any of our consumers. So long story short, you know, we're essentially working on a two-year cycle. Um, a full year of that is testing, and a full year of that is design and prototyping. Man, that's got to be, I don't know, for someone who, myself, I speak about here, is so driven by instant gratification on so many different things. That's got to be a little bit difficult um, to be working on things that you're not going to see the the fruits of your labor come to fruition until 2020. It's it's an interesting perspective, you know, because you're involved and you know what's coming, and it's not there yet. It's not you know ready to come to market yet, but you know it's coming down the pipe. And after you finally bring that line to market, you know, for that first year. You want to be excited about it and you want to, you know, shake your own hand and pat yourself on the back. But guess what? That next year's cycle has already started. Right. And we're cranking on those pieces. So it's a fun, fast-paced environment. And, you know, for, for guys like us that have an awesome opportunity to work for a company that really drives innovation, it's, it's great because it's ever-changing and the work is never done. And it's very gratifying when those pieces do get to market and, you know, our customers and guys like you are are stoked on them. You know, that's our ultimate goal, but yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a cool feeling. Um, so, so I don't want to, um, go overboard talking about product and stuff all day, but I do get, I get inundated with people asking me questions ever since, you know, I started, um, testing out a lot of first like gear this year, been getting so many questions. What piece should I be wearing for this scenario? Or what jacket is that? Or what base layer are you wearing? Or what this, what that, what this, do you want to share like a, I mean, like a quick Cliff Notes, one hundred and one on the first light whitetail, you know, pieces or a couple things that you you think are worth mentioning or anything like that, just to touch on a handful. You mentioned this mid-season prototype that I've been using that you use here that's going to be coming out sometime soon, right? Yep, yep. Um, we'll in that in January. Okay. Is there is there any other quick rundown you want to share that that folks should know about? Um, or as a whitetail guy or girl, I should you know look at it as one of my first options or anything like that. Yeah, I could definitely do that. Um, maybe just quick and, and sorry. No, go ahead. I will tease that I actually we just put together a video that's going to come out. So rather than me going through this whole thing right now, we did just film a video where I walked through my whole system for this season. So I tested out all sorts of different gear this year, and I kind of I think I've got it kind of nailed down to what my favorite set was for the early season my favorite stuff for like that middle of the season during the rut and now what I'm wearing now during the late season. So I share that in a video that hopefully will be live for people to watch the day after this podcast comes out. Um, so I'll tease that go to the wire Hunt YouTube channel now for soon for that. But Greg, no, that'll sorry. be, that'll be perfect. We get, um, we get that same question a lot. Um, I think maybe the best kind of route for this is I'll give a, a real mile high overview here and then, if Ford or Jordan wants to fill in any gaps or, you know, Mark or further as well, um, you can do that. In addition to that, you know, I definitely want to say we got a, a good chunk of our customer service team at this point 
are Midwest born and bred. So these boys have nice. spent some time in tree stands. And if you ever have any questions with regard to your whitetail kit, um, there's plenty of people that if you give the officer ring can help you out. But yeah, just about half of them at this point. Yeah, I think we're yeah almost fifty percent. Yeah, we were we were actually just remarking that so many of the applications we get for internships for jobs or what have you are actually from sort of the certainly midwest and and maybe even like northern northern midwest probably wrong word great lakes region i guess yeah. interestingly enough and and at this point what do we have four people maybe from the midwest overall yeah. at least yeah maybe a lot more. of uh, yeah a lot of whitetail knowledge in the office but i think you know long story short you know first light was founded on merino wool you know, that's where our company was started. Um, and it started at base layers and obviously it's expanded to a full line of base layers, mid layers, outerwear, but, um, especially for, and I think sometimes this gets overlooked for the white tail guy or gal, you know, you really can't go wrong with Merino wool because it does everything that a serious white tail hunter needs. It's quiet. Um, it's odor resistant. It's going to keep you fairly cool it breathes super well it's going to keep you cool on that hike in and then even if you do get you know potentially a little bit sweated up on the hike in um it's going to keep you warm and dry fairly quickly once you actually get into the stand so you know for the early season or if you're you know whitetail grounds i would say you know are in the southern hemisphere or excuse me in the southern u.s um you know you, you can't go wrong with those merino pieces so we make a merino pants called the obsidian um, that's a great bottom layer for really any of your whitetail endeavors. Cause it regulates body temperature super well. Like I said, it breathes really well. Um, super quiet, odor resistant. And then depending on what temperature range you're looking at for that early season, you know, we have a variety of, uh, Merino tops from 150 weight all the way up to 350 weight that work great for your uppers. Um, any combination of layering those pieces, again, depending on your situation, you really can't go wrong with those. Um, I'm always a huge proponent of whether it's really, really hot or really, really cold, start with a 150 weight piece on top because what that's going to do is it's going to breathe well, it's going to dry fast, it's going to pull that moisture away from your body. It's really going to maintain, you know, what we like to refer to as that microclimate, that next to skin, you know, keeping your humidity, humidity excuse me, and temperature where it needs to be. Um, and then again, depending on what your early season looks like for temperatures, you can either choose to run that by itself or with some additional pieces on top. Um, tons of variety there. Obviously I can't cover every situation and you know, the 30 second spiel here, but that's really kind of my go-to and most people that use our stuff, their go-to for an, an early season kit is going to be some combination of obsidian pants and merino wool top layers as we move into the mid season. Um, as we mentioned, or, you know, the slightly cooler temps, we have a bunch of mid-layer pieces that are great. I love the Klamath hoodie. It's a synthetic grid fleece that blocks the wind really well, pairs and works really well with merino base layers. Um, and in addition to that, we have our catalyst kit. It's kind of a revolutionary two-layer soft shell that works great, you know, once you get past the point of being able to just run like an obsidian pant with a, a wool top. It's a two-layer soft shell, ultra quiet ultra breathable, ultra durable. Um, you know, the next step past that was the, the mid season kit that you had talked about, Mark, that you'd got a chance to use this year, which we'll be releasing in January this year. That's going to be kind of your bread and butter, 
if you're anywhere in the Midwest from early November, or excuse me, uh, mid-October till late November, um, bunch of great whitetail specific features. Again, really quiet. Uh, it's meant to keep you warm as those temps drop. It's going to do a great job of, you know, shedding moisture, precip that you get and block the wind. And then, you know, past that you move into the late season and it's our sanctuary kit. It's kind of the ultimate cold weather, burly do it all. So obviously I know I'm, I'm not hitting the details on everybody's specific situations, but I would say those are kind of our bread and butter combinations across the board from September 15 to, you know, middle of January, depending on how your season lays out. Yeah. It's been, um, you know, every, every time you, you're testing new things, you never know what to expect. And you're always a little hesitant, especially, you know, you you get comfortable what you've been wearing, happy with what you're doing. Anytime you make a change, it is, you know, a little bit of cause for concern. There's like those little whispers in the back of your mind, like, Oh, what if you don't like it? What if it doesn't do so good on November 7th and the big bucks coming in and you get cold or whatever? You have all these whispers and worries. Um, and fortunately, all those whispers and worries were for naught for me. Um, everything that I've been able to use so far, I've had, I haven't had a single negative experience yet. Um, but I think the coolest thing for what, not maybe the only cool thing, but, but something that I've liked so much about um, what you guys have been doing is the focus that uh, the first light puts on, on giving back on conservation, on public land, um, on making sure that we focus on some of these bigger picture things that make what we'd love to do possible. The the wildlife, the wild places, all that. Um, We had Cal on the show with, with me uh, a couple months ago. We we didn't, we didn't elk hunt together. Talked a little bit about what he, what he was, you know, doing back at that point. Um, but is there anything on that front that you guys want want to share a little bit about when it comes to first lights? Um, I don't know. It seems like an important part of, of what you guys stand for. Yeah, it's it's core. It's core for our company, and, and it's pretty simple, really. I think Kenton always, you know, obviously Kenton, one of the co-founders of First Light, Kenton Groove, he often gets you know interviewed, uh, talks about what have you on podcasts and, and what have you. Um, you know, it, it's a simple equation for us our customers recreate in wild places uh, and are, are chasing wild critters. And, and if those places and those critters aren't around, we don't have a business. No, it's not, it's not really an altruistic thing. Even in the, in that regard, it's, it's essential to what we do. And, and what's more obviously access to and the protection of public lands in the East and the West um, are, are, our core to us also in so much as a lot of our customers rely on those places for their hunts. Well, for their hunts and, and for everything else really be that camping, fishing, skiing, running, you know, the whole gamut of activities, grocery acquisition, grocery acquisition. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty key. Like you said, uh, there's, there's a certain practicality, um, that for all of us, you know, you don't need to be just a do-gooder. It just makes practical sense to try to fight for these things. And, of course, I, we, I think all of us that love this stuff so much, we also love it in such a way that we want to give back and we want to make sure that future generations have it as good, if not better, in the future. Um, so we don't, need to, we don't need to explain that at all. But you mentioned something. I don't know why. My, my head totally jumped to a new place. So if you guys want to go back, and, and say anything else, but somehow my mind just jumped to this question. 
because somehow you you were talking about Kenton and you were talking about First Light and I'm thinking about First Light being in Idaho and I thought about the fact that you were mentioning how you finally got the mule deer bug this year and this is all, everything that was running through my head oh, the yeah. last 30 seconds while you were talking <laughs> yep. I, heard, I heard nothing yep. that you said no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine this is what happens in the mind of Mark Kenyon and then I thought to myself so Ford said he caught the mule deer bug now he finally gets it and muleys are kind of meh I really like white-tailed deer he doesn't know what he's talking about Whitetails are greater than mule deer. Game over. That's what was going on in my head. <laughs> so the question I need to ask each of you guys now, especially, Ferder, you can't answer this since you haven't hunted mule deer. I haven't hunted mule deer. Um, but I know you two have. And have you, Jordan? Just with the camera. You've you've hunted them with a the camera. Okay. So you Quite can, a bit with a camera. <laughs> so you can go in there. But for the two of you, you both grew up Midwest or East. You were on Ford from Maryland, right? Yep. Greg yep. from Wisconsin. Yep. So you both came from a whitetail background. Then you lived out in Idaho for a period of time. Hunt muleys. Muleys or whitetails? Who wins? In your hearts and minds. Do you want to go first for it? Nope. <laughs> That's an easy question for me. We we actually, uh, so we had a, a fairly substantial whitetail trip this year. Um, it was both a marketing endeavor and um, a I guess fun endeavor as well, but and a lot of gear testing, a lot of gear a lot testing, of, a lot of that mid-season kit in yep. uh, in trees for sure. And um, th- throughout the process of planning this, there was some heated discussions within the group about when this trip should start, <laughs> and the really? heated discussions largely revolved around there was a certain camp of people that were not willing to miss the end of mule deer season. <laughs> and then there was another camp of people, myself uh, and a fellow coworker who is also from Wisconsin, Paul Peterson, that basically said we would be very willing to throw our mule deer tags in the garbage to not miss the end of pre-rut, beginning of whitetail <laughs> rut. So uh, for me, it's, it's it's definitely whitetails. I mean, that's what I kind of cut my teeth on and is my bread and butter. And yeah, the whitetails hold a, a special place in my heart. How do you... Can you articulate why that is at all? I had this conversation with Steve the other day, and he, you know, I, I took him out bow hunting in Michigan for whitetails, and after that hunt, he was still like, he's like, you know, I get it, but it just doesn't do it for me like mule deer. Which is interesting, I should point out, because he is a Michigander. Right. And grew, grew up, up bow hunting yeah. whitetails, just for the uninitiated on Yeah, that. yeah. But now he's all highfalutin <laughs> mule deer guy. <laughs> um, so, how why you've had now a lot of experience with both why why do the whitetails still just make it you know i i think for me and don't get me wrong i i have grown to and similar to ford feel like i have finally kind of got bit by the mule deer bug I, it's a animal i respect and definitely enjoy pursuing um but for me the difference lies in the country that we hunt them in and the chess match that goes on hunting mature whitetail bucks. Um, they're typically not animals that you first, you know, you don't, it's not like a meal there where you find it in the glass and then you make a plan to get to it. You know, for ma- these mature whitetail bucks, it's, you find them maybe in the glass in the summer, you know, in, in fields and X, Y, and Z, and hopefully on trail camera. Um, but you're essentially, you know, you're trying to outsmart an animal in its own bedroom. And taking in so many considerations, whether it be 
weather, wind direction, time of year, um, you know, you name it. And trying to put together a plan to put yourself in a spot to intercept that deer on his normal patterns, his normal day-to-day, and do so in a way that he won't know you're there. And for some reason, that that chess match, that whole process, you know, and for us, it, it, it starts, you know, essentially after one season is over, knowing what deer are still around and then trying to find their sheds in the spring and putting out trail cameras and potentially, you know, planting food plots in the spring and summer and then running those trail cameras through that period of time. And it, it's the all-encompassing process of trying to outsmart a very smart animal in a very small area a lot of times that for some reason I, I just can't get past. It's It's been insanely addicting for me. Yeah, you know something as you were talking about that, and I realize I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know, the choir always gets preached at. It's just part of the, part of the game. Um, when it comes to whitetail hunting, you need to know these – well, let me take it back. When you're mu- – and I've never went mule deer hunting, so you can tell me I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> when about. When you're mule deer hunting. <laughs> <laughs> but when I watch mule deer hunters on TV, no, um, but right, you're, you're spotting an animal, you're seeing that animal in many cases, and you know where he is, and then you try to figure out a way to get to where that animal is. And I know that's tremendously challenging in a lot of different ways. But when you're hunting a mature whitetail, you need to know that animal so well that you know where he's going to be before he ever gets there. Exactly. You need to predict what he's going to do weeks or months in advance and then make sure you are there in that perfect scenario that he goes where you believe he's going to go and doesn't know that you're sitting there waiting for him. And that is such a mental game to put all those pieces together. And I say a thousand times that chess match and everybody listening knows it already. And that's why they listen to this podcast. So we're all just kind of um, patting ourselves on the heads and saying, good job. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it, And it's, it, it's that. And I think especially bow hunting whitetails, yeah. it's that plus some because, you know, you may do all those things and you may be within a hundred or 150 yards of the deer. And to me, that's an accomplishment. Like you've put together 14 of those 15 steps, mm-hmm. but to have a successful bow hunt on an animal like that, you have to put number 15 on there. And that's to be within, you know, depending on what your range is, 20, 30, 40, et cetera, yards. Mm-hmm. And you know, that it's, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And I think that challenge for me is always, I don't know, it's, it's trumped anything else, any of my other hunting endeavors, whether it be elk, mule deer, antelope, etc. And, and I know it's, there's some nostalgia in, in it for me because it's what I grew up doing, but that's always been kind of the thing that's fired me up the most. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though. And I am, this is really the first year I've hunted mule deer seriously in any capacity, and probably many people wouldn't even call what I'm doing serious, honestly, because the, the level of nuttery around big mule deer bucks is the same as big whitetail bucks, I've discovered, I would say, is how similar they are, actually. You know, I think we tend to think of mule deer in the spot and stock dynamic, and, oh, yeah, they're over there, Let's how do we get to them? But the the craftiness of an old mule deer, I think, is not should not be underestimated, um, and I think they share a lot of, you know, for example, you see a big buck in July, in out west hunting mule deer, you know he's in the drainage. Okay, great. You maybe see him again in August on a scouting trip. You might not see him again in that drainage, potentially ever. 
you know he he he's probably there he's he's quite likely there but he's in the timber all day every day he might come out for three minutes five minutes 15 minutes at first light and if you don't happen to be looking at that edge of that timber patch you never see him and i i think there really is a lot more carryover than i estimated in in terms of uh in terms of that just craftiness that sneakiness and uh sort of to your point getting to know uh bucks and and trying to figure out where they're going to be when they're going to be out of the timber for five minutes you've got to be in the right place and that might not even be you know so what you've seen them a mile away that doesn't help you at all it's cool to see them again but you have to be close enough and in the right place that when they come out for five minutes you're there to get them in the same way i think that you have to know, you know, when a doe, when a buck's going to follow a doe through a, a given area in November, um, or or what have you, you know, in the in the whitetail side of things. There really actually are, I think, more similarities than we think between the two. There's a lot of differences. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I think the pressure element is always so much higher, or almost always so much higher on whitetails that that really changes the game. But it, it's interesting the similarities between the two, also. If if someone put a gun to your head right now and said next season, you only get to hunt one species of deer. It's gonna be white tails or mule deer. You have to choose right now. What is it? Just me personally. You personally. Because for the good of the country, white tail deer. No question. <laughs> That's a cop out. Come yeah. on. Um, that is. Man. Why do you say that? Also. Which is. I, mean, I know why, but yeah, without question, it's the most important. It's the most important game species oh. in North America in terms of. The number of hunters that have meaningful experiences with the game, whitetail are, are more people. I, I don't want to say more important. That's loaded, but more I, people. I thought it was a good answer. More, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're more important to introducing and, you know, I don't want to say maintaining. They're more important to the enjoyment and satisfaction and, you know, frankly, food source or they are a food source for more hunters than, than mule deer, I think, obviously. So that's your cop-out answer. No. What's the real answer? <sighs> it's tough. I, I For me, the whitetail thing, I think, is more nostalgic. I just, the institution of deer camps, the memories I have of deer hunting, um, and sort of the associations are, are so strong with whitetail hunting. I think right now I very much like mule deer hunting more than whitetail hunting currently in my life. Very much. So gun, <laughs> gun to the head, mule deer hunting. Okay. Going forward. I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Uh, Josh. I don't have know, any experience. You got nothing. <laughs> Jordan, from your camera hunting, does it yeah. seem? I mean, I definitely, I, I appreciate how you go about mule deer hunting and being from the Midwest, how unique it seems not growing up doing it, but being lucky enough to do it a fair amount this fall, getting home back to the Midwest, back to Minnesota to climb up into a tree stand was one of the most refreshing things I think I could have done. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, nothing beats it. Yeah. I get this thing where every year around like January or February, I always get in this mode in my mind where I start picking up my bugle magazines or I'm looking at YouTube and watching some high country mule deer hunt or something. I'm like, oh, I really want to go do that. And so, so then I go plan like an elk hunt or I think I'm going to go do this mule deer hunt or this whatever big game hunt. And um, that's when I'm always in like different species modes, like January, February. 
coming, you know, off the long whitetail season. But every single year, every year without fail, August and September rolls around, and I'm, like, supposed to be going on an elk hunt or something. And this is horrible to say this, but every year, like, even this year, I had a great elk hunt coming up. I'm like, I just want to be in a tree stand hunting whitetails, and I'm, I got this elk hunt coming up, but I really want to be checking trail cameras and planning out this hunt. So, I don't know. I've got a weird disease. Um, I can't I can't focus on anything but the but You're not the deer. only one. Yeah, I'll say not that I want it to be cured, but I don't think you're the only one with it. So if you figure out a cure, please don't give it to me because I'm fully enjoying the disease. With that being said, mule deer Still hunt. my lines. A mule, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed I might get to go on a mule deer hunt someday. That's definitely a, a bucket list hunt that I'd like to do. So one of these years I'm just going to show up at Ford's doorstep. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. they're just. Let's go mule deer hunting. They are so cool. And the country they live in is so cool. I get that. And, uh. You know, physically, they're so impressive. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of taking me a late. I also just like sitting and looking, glassing, which is 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 a is a big part of mule deer hunting. Obviously, um, taking it in and and seeing what you see. I don't know. It's it's definitely taking hold. But I love sitting in a tree stand. Also, don't get me wrong. I think you know the sights you see that are almost always so close to you when you're in a tree stand you know it's cool to see stuff a mile away through glass but having a fox run right under you in a tree stand it's it's always going to be that intimate you know in terms of or as or as you learned this year a fox squirrel or a fox or two what what happened with this fox squirrel what's the what's the fox squirrel story we've been i'm gonna pretend like i didn't tell you the story (laughs) yep (laughs) middle of the rut yeah Best time of year. Middle of the rut. What day was that, Ford? Just so the listeners I actually don't remember, but I'm sure that it was the greatest day of the rut ever in the world. It was November 5th. Go ahead. Yeah, right right there. To be fair, we hadn't seen seen any deer and didn't see any more deer out of stand, which makes me feel mildly better about myself. Again, it was November 5th. (laughs) Just to reiterate, November 5th in Wisconsin. Good things tend to happen on November 5th. Yes. So I'm told. Um Anyhow, I uh, had, had had seen a fox squirrel or two while we were kicking around. Had grown up in a place where you actually can't kill fox squirrels on the Delmarva Peninsula. It was an endangered species growing up. Um, it's actually since been delisted. Was interested in perhaps eating a fox squirrel. Uh, hadn't really seen any in the what i don't know half a dozen days or whatever we'd hunted and um, fox squirrels or deer fox squirrel okay we'd seen a couple deer um and had one pop out when jordan and i were hunting at maybe 10 yards right under me i had a judo point arrow figured i would subtly dispatch this fox squirrel and continue with the all day sit and uh so i kind of excitedly pulled an arrow out of the quiver jordan probably thought i saw a buck and lined up on this fox squirrel, which was probably not 10 yards. It was probably more like 10 feet. Did you understand what was going on, Jordan? I, I totally did because I saw him take the arrow with the nice broad head off and <laughs> replace, it, replace it with an arrow that had a small game head on it, at which point I sighed. <laughs> yeah. You hit record is what you did. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. So I lined up on this fox squirrel. I let the arrow go. Uh, in retrospect with a target that's probably two inches or three inches wide probably should have shot a little lower 
took quite a bit of fur off the top of the back of the fox squirrel and the arrow stuck in the mud facing up right under the tree stand. Squirrel walked away, didn't even seem to notice that it, it would, had gotten a haircut. And so I said, hey, I kind of got to pee anyway. I'm a little stiff. I'm just going to climb down to the base of the tree and grab the arrow out of the dirt. Uh, so I did that, climbed down the ladder, didn't bring my bow, left my bow hanging, notably, uh, on the bow hanger on the, you know, off to the left on the stand there, grabbed the arrow, looked at the fur side a little bit, uh, <laughs> took a leak and <laughs> climbed back into the, climbed back into the stand. And as I was sitting, I happened to look to my left and in what appeared to be about 10 seconds, watch my bow fall slowly to the earth, the 25 feet down, uh, into the mud, kind of take a hit in the so, mud and, and roll off to the side. So I still don't understand how the bow, you, you not like when you sat down, just, you bumped just it. fully bumped into it yeah. without kind of noticing climbing up the ladder. Um, and it, I think it, it must've kind of done sort of a sway 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 and then falling off because it it i was fully seated by the time it fell off the hanger it was real life slow motion yeah that thing that i looked over at jordan <laughs> jordan is now who's as we mentioned very quiet jordan is now audibly laughing at me <laughs> continues to do so for probably 30 to 40 seconds i climb down i'm like oh just an off chance this thing still works not so much. No. Peep was out of line. Timing already felt off, but uh, that that ended that all day sit. 10.30 in the morning on no, it was November, November 5th. November, November 5th, 5th, again. Wait, what? Day? It was November 5th? It was November, five, yeah, five days into the month of November. Correct. And while you were out slinging arrows at fox squirrels, though, Greg here was, was chasing whitetails uh, successfully, I believe, too. More yeah. or less, although I think it was a couple of days before when you tagged out. Yeah, I was actually sitting in the cabin on November 5th. I shot mine on November 2nd. You want to tell us what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, so November 1st, the evening of November 1st, um, Paul Peterson, our coworker, we were hunting his property in um, southwest Wisconsin, tagged out in a great deer. Another sweet deer camp as a side note. Yeah. Um, so we got to kind of be a part of that and it really kicked off. It was the first tag we punched on our whitetail hunt. Um, so that kind of kicked everything off. Uh, November 2nd, Jordan and I actually went into a stand, um, that we hadn't hunted yet. It was the first morning day in general, but morning that we had good wind for it. And, um, we went and got up in that spot and it, I said to Jordan when we climbed into the stand that it just felt like one of those mornings um, or one of those days for, I guess, lack of a better term, that obviously you're going to spend all day in the stand. And it felt like one of those days that could potentially be good for rattling. And I'll be full disclosure, I've had two two hunts that ended successfully because of hitting horns together. Um, both of them were in the AM and both of them felt very similar to kind of the for whatever reason whether it was in my mind or not um the way they this day had set up so i kind of told jordan i'm like hey i'm gonna hit the horns on the hour every hour trying to kill a mature buck i'm fully aware i may scare some deer away but we'll see what happens so hit him at 8 a.m nothing we had a doe come through at about 8 30 um hit him at 9 a.m nothing happened um 
and then I was a little late on my, my 10 a.m. hit, so I think it was like 11, 10, 11, 10, 12, something like that. Um, clanked the horns together, and it had to be not 15 seconds after I got done rattling, and it just sounded like there was a freight train coming through the woods. And we were joking about this last night when I was telling the story, but I wish I had this on video. I, I looked up at Jordan when all the commotion started, and I think his exact words were, that's way too big to be a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of got ready, and, I mean, we heard him coming. And um, basically, long story short, a little spike cruised through right in front of us and um, followed by a, a very mature great deer. Um, and they were moving so fast. I mean, basically it wasn't the typical, like, you know, the whitetail grunt. I had to scream at this deer. It was the loudest, like, bellow I think I've ever heard somebody have to make in order to stop a deer. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, he put on the brakes at 20 yards, and the rest is kind of history. I, I think basically the way the the way it played out is those, those two bucks must have been in the vicinity of one another when I hit the horn together, and that infuriated the that bigger deer and um he started pushing another one and pushed him right towards us um but yeah it was it was an unbelievable hunt it was one of those where everything kind of came together the way you draw it up i mean he came in his eyes were bulging out of his head and he was looking for a fight um luckily we were able to get him aged after i shot we saw him tip over after i shot him got the whole thing during got some great pictures but um we got him aged after i shot him and the biologist said he was either, you know, five and a half or six and a half. So wow. definitely a mature deer and huge awesome. body, massive bodied buck. Huge body white yeah. tail. It's one of those, uh, you know, those stereotypical rut hunts that you won't forget where yeah. everything just kind of plays out the way it's supposed to, which as we all know, rarely happens, but man, and it goes so fast. I can't believe we're already in December now. Yep. You mm-hmm. look forward to it all year and then it's just like, oh, it's here. And then next you blink. Exactly. And it's gone. Yeah. So you, you got to make the best of it. That's good. It was fun. It was yeah. a fun year. Yeah, it was one of those hunts too. Even, even not hunting, that hunt's gonna stick with me for a long time. You know, I some some part of you kind of wishes that man. I wish I could be you know back home or sitting in that hot seat right there too. But even just being able to witness, I mean, not everybody gets to see deer act like that. You know, that no. quickly in right. that fashion. Absolutely. And that's that was really special to be able to to be able to see that and and the back slap and the, you know happens after that greg called us and uh we all came out and you know took pictures and congratulating each other and even uh i believe what was the beer of choice that was consumed we uh um, congratulatory like congratulatory 10 30 beer <laughs> yeah, whatever, we had whatever a, it was. an honorary uh, lining kugels to uh, celebrate yep. the celebrate yes. the harvest. Some cheese curds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was very neat. And just to be in a deer camp, and I guess really my first Midwestern deer camp, and two bucks hanging in the barn, and it was cool. Before we move on to the next set of questions I've got here, I want to take a quick break to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And Spencer has a quick word from one of their land specialists. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Jeff Propes, a land specialist out of Missouri. And Jeff is going to be talking to us about getting started filming your own hunts. Well, I I filmed personally. My son and I did for a long time. Uh, I, I was involved in it for over 20 years. My son and I filmed together for about 15 years and uh, pretty much retired from it now. But I, I guess the first thing is 
is don't skimp, skimp on your equipment. If you're wanting to, particularly if you're wanting to try to do something on a professional level, get good quality equipment. Uh, obviously, high definition cameras. The cameras have changed so much since we were in it. I mean, they've got these small little handheld cameras now that take just about as good a quality footage as the old big cameras we used to carry. And um, you know, get good quality footage and get a good mic. Don't go with an onboard mic on the on the cameras that come with it. Buy a shotgun mic of good quality. Spend the money, do it right. Use a tree arm when you're in a tree. You get nice, smooth, steady pans. And, and when you're on the ground, if it's if it's feasible, you use a tripod. Just keep your footage nice and steady whether you're in a tree or on the ground. But the big thing is to don't skimp on equipment. Buy good stuff, and it, it'll show it with your footage. The quality will show through. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Jeff currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash probes. That's P-R-O-P-S-T. We also want to thank our partners at Onyx for their support of this podcast. And I want to give you a quick heads up about a new feature on the Onyx Hunt app, which is pretty neat. Now on top of the digital maps that you can see, right, we've talked about in the past, you can see your aerial views, you can see your topographic views, you can mark waypoints, you can share waypoints, you can measure distances, you can measure areas, you can see the public land borders, you can see private land owners and borders. On top of all of that now, you can also see weather data overlaid right in that same spot. So now you can see things like what the temperature is. You can see what the percentage chance of precipitation is. You can see what the wind direction, what the barometric pressure is doing, even the sunrise and sunset times. It's all right there, easily accessible while you're looking at your map. So once again, they're just making this tool even more handy and usable. And it is one of those things that you can easily get on your phone. You just got to go search for Onyx, that's O-N-X, on the mobile app store of your choice, or you can go on over to onyxmaps.com to learn more. So you've had quite the kind of education on the the northern Great Lakes deer hunting tradition oh, yeah. this year. You did yep. the Wisconsin camp, now you're doing the northern Michigan camp. Totally. Yeah, because where I grew up, um, I think part of why I think all of this is neat, you know, looking at the wall here with 20, 20 plus buck antlers or sets of antlers um you know we just we didn't really have quite the deer culture where i grew up in eastern maryland i think probably partially because there probably weren't hardly any deer you know within even the lifespan of of some of the old timers that are still kicking around i think in the way here you know deer just held on in in the northern part of the country obviously through sort of the, the the bad old days for lack of a better word and and so we don't, I don't think we really in, at least in Eastern Maryland, it, I think it probably does exist in, in the Appalachian part of Maryland, but, um, we don't have the, quite the deer, the history, history to deer culture or deer, uh, camp culture that, that y'all have up here. So it's pretty neat to experience. Yeah. So, so there's, there's one, you, you did the Wisconsin camp. Yep. You did the Northern Michigan camp. Yep. You had a full spread of fried appetizers tonight at the restaurant. <laughs> Feast of the fryer. <laughs> Nothing but Brown fried food. vegetables. Um, and it, it truly was. A, what's that oblong fried shape? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a fried, fried pickle. And then that's, that's the, the fried asparagus. Fried and that's asparagus. the fried chicken. And yeah. That's the fried jalapeno, jalapeno popper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought the poppers were going to be the pickles, actually. Uh, no, no. Um, so so you've done all that. You've heard the turdy point buck. 
which is a Several terrific song. At this point, yeah. If anyone hasn't heard that yet, you should YouTube it or Google the Turdy Point Buck and listen to which that song. Which is not reggae music, apparently. <laughs> I, still <don't> understand. <laughs> I still don't understand how you thought but it was like, reggae. It's got this strange Caribbean beat to it, too. I don't really understand where that's coming from. Is <laughs> he a Turdy Pointer? Um, okay, so that's you're very nearing the end of your Upper Great Lakes, Michigan, or tour for the year. Yes. Yeah. The final piece of homework, and we talked about this over dinner, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure you follow up on this. And anyone listening who has not yet done this needs to. Let's go over on the YouTube and watch Escanaba in the Moonlight. <laughs> and it is truly spelled duh. Duh, D-A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Escanaba in the Moonlight. <laughs> for, for a lifetime worth of one-liners. And great quotes. You have to go into this with an open mind and a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um but if sure like words have never been spoken. <laughs> but if you do that and, and you had a cold beer and be with some buddies that want to laugh about some stupid stuff. Oh yeah. It's gold. Well what I think I need to do is get uh, you know, a case of spotted cow if that's still kicking around. Paul's hopefully Paul's apartment. Get get Greg and Paul involved. Eat some curds. Yes, yeah. and uh, some watch. Pasties. Yeah, some pasties. Mm-hmm. Maybe a hot dish too. Hot we'll fry dish. some walleye. Yep, fry up some walleye. And did watch. you bring the pasties, Ruben? Oh, <laughs> 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 well, we got the food covered, boys. Exactly. I just have a uh, little heavy on the sap. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good experience. Oh, it is. It is. Just just go ahead and, and watch Escanaba in the Moonlight. We'll be all set. And Is that something that you can rent, by the way, on Netflix? Or where would I find this? Yeah, you can watch it for free on YouTube. Oh, you said that on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah, it's available for free right yeah. now. Yeah. And it's got a heck of a cast. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels is the star. He's Ruben. He's the buckless youper. Buckless <laughs> You're in for a treat. Oh, that sounds man. like it. We were talking that we might just have to do this podcast someday. Get like a group of guys together, watch Escanaba in the Moonlight, and just record the podcast and just commentate the whole movie as we go. That might be a that future be, episode. Yeah. Well, that could be like a like a future like wired to hunt thing. Like people get like people have YouTube channels of them commentating on things that they watch. So you think that's, that's like that's my next yeah. my next big yeah. thing is just commentate on mo- on that movie Commenta- over and over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that All right, running for- show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Would you uh, have to stream the film and then so people could watch the film as you were commentating? Yeah. Sort of like so mystery science. What was the mystery science series? Yeah. yeah Three thousand or what yes. have you. It would have to be like a video podcast, I guess. So mm-hmm. you'd be able to watch the film. Yeah. And then you'd also see me and Furter in the corner talking about it. <laughs> Side cam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so so we do this thing. Um, the mediator crew has been doing this deal. They're calling like the hot tip offs, where everyone's sitting around. Um, each shares like their own best hunting or fishing tip. And, um, so I've been doing a bunch of these, so I'm going to, um, I'm going to step out of this one and I'm just going to put this on, on you guys. We're going to do a podcast version of the hot tip off. You guys are all kind of gear guys, right? You're from the, the, the clothing gear side mm-hmm. and Jordan, you could either do the clothing gear side or you're also like our camera guy. Um, people are always, have got lots of questions about photography or filming or different things like that. So I kind of thought it'd be kind of a cool idea to get a quick hot tip from you guys um it could be about choosing the right clothing it could be about layering it could be different things to stay more comfortable in the field um if something happens to come up you know come to mind in that category um but if not you're welcome to throw any other kind of hot tip at us um 
So that I, I kind of want you you three to give us a hot tip. In the meantime, Josh, do you have any kind of lukewarm tips that you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> the theme continues. <laughs> this is this has been a rough like a rough couple days for me, man. You've just been hammering on me. It's just I don't know. It's just low hanging fruit. Um, do you do you have a, do you have any kind of uh, thoughts? Um, concluding thoughts while these guys think of their hot tips. I I've got a couple. I want to ask them two questions. Oh, questions. Yeah, yeah. Do it. But let's do it after they're hot. Yeah, that would delay my hot tips yeah. some more. Okay. No, he wants to do it after your hot tips. Yeah, because you guys might have to answer them, so I don't want to distract. Okay. You. Okay. So my my lukewarm tip would be <laughs> try to find someone else to have to stoke the fire in the middle of the night because mm, yeah. I've woken up the first time I had to do it like three or four times. That yeah, was rough. That's, and, and and I said it already. I want to say it again. Despite all the crap I give you, tremendous camp manager. It's it's tough work. That's I like I like having your dad and your uncle Steve around to kind of be the camp. I know managers usually we're out hunting and they're usually the ones hanging back at camp taking care of. If word, if word gets out but, though that you do as yeah. good as work as you do, this might be a full time gig. I for will you. I will say it hasn't been too bad. Just kind of hanging around camp. Ford and I have been just kind of hanging around camp during the day because he's not hunting. But it's been um. It's been it's been a lot of fun actually, just kind of hanging out at camp and yeah, I was saying, enjoying I'm, I'm the, a little bit jealous. The time here. <laughs> Good pace Get to sleep in. I think that we all left out to go hunting this morning, and you two went right back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of. I heard you know, same cot too. Shoot right? straight, shoot straight. Shoot. <laughs> okay, cool. I like I, I like I rolled up my lights. sleeping bag and put it out in the porch. I like I don't think this is gonna stay out here too long. And <laughs> you guys walked out. I went out and grabbed my sleeping bag. I was. Post it back up on the couch real quick. <laughs> I had to put my boots on outside, and I think I heard snoring before I even uh, walked too far away from the cabin. You can't even talk about snoring. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <if I made laughs> you. Last night, we're all like, it was, you know, we, we killed the lights. We're all, we're all, the, all five of us are crammed in this little one room. We've, we've got three cots, and then me and Josh are sharing a pull-out couch. <laughs> and um, so we're all laying there. Yeah, it's not a big space. Not a big not space. Not a big space. And we're laying there kind of doing that, you know, kind of, BS and a little bit before you fall asleep type thing. And we started talking about some product related things and, and Ford was like, Oh yeah, I bet you we could get you something like that. And then Greg's like, Oh, I don't know. You're, you're, you're cashing, you're writing checks. That you might not be able to cash. And then we start talking about this new product that Greg should be designing. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm already thinking through it. I'm 50% of the way through. <laughs> literally no joke. It wasn't like he was kidding. He literally started Hammering. snoring seconds after saying that and then we're we all i mean i, I didn't think it could have been real it's like, yeah is he is, is he, he sleeping like that for, yeah. <laughs> are you what is it narcolepsy yeah <laughs> is that a real thing for you <laughs> it's a gift you know you that know, i get horizontal and uh yeah that's about it that'd be a hot tip just be able to fall asleep like greg can <laughs> that's true and we were not being quiet no I mean, no, we were, we were no. Loudly, belly laughing, laughing. we were laughing really hard yeah. once we figured out that he was sleeping yeah yeah that's that, but that I think that might lead to my hot tip. Yeah, what is it? In in uh, Northern Michigan Deer Camp is uh, I would say pull the batteries out of the obnoxious clock <laughs> before you cut the propane lights. Oh man, yeah. So first night we all get here and belly laughing probably continued for thirty minutes or what have you, and we're drifting off to sleep and and really I had not noticed it until the the talking ended you know there's a, the st- wood stuff's kind of clinking and popping but behind me is this clock is just hammering tink, tink, it just tink, echoed in tink. Tink. <laughs> and i feel like my eyes are kind of yeah 
pulsing with the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I just, I really just met Josh and Mark in person. <laughs> I don't want to be that passive aggressive <laughs> camp goer that pulls the clock off the wall and smashes it. But I don't even know if I can fall asleep with this yeah. thing. I'll, I'll tell I you what, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow about it. <laughs> for sure. So if was, I can get to sleep. Was anybody else thinking? Oh, this? yeah, I yeah, was. I, I think that. we were all thinking, like, man, that is loud. I wonder if someone's going to say something. That clock about sucks. It. Yeah. I'm, I'm laying in bed thinking. <laughs> I was already sleeping, so. <laughs> yeah, I, <was laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> but in my, I was like, oh, wow, like that is so loud. That, that's never been, that clock yeah. has never, it's always been here. It just never is on. <laughs> I don't think it's ever worked. It's never worked all the years that I can remember. I think it's got some natural reverb to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah. It really does. It reminded me, and I, I, and I don't know why this reminds me because I've read this like 20 years ago, but that Edgar Allan Poe poem, I think it was, that we were trying to remember. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something to do with this like loud the ticking. The telltale heart. Yeah, something like that. This clock that just keeps making this noise and drives the guy nuts or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's what it was reminding me of. So in my head, I was like, wow, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep with that. Yeah. So I sat there, and then I'm like, do I want to get up? Like, what if they're already sleeping and then I'm going to be like making all this noise? Oh yeah. And then finally I realized, you know, if anyone's going to do it, it probably has to be me. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is my camp. I probably, so I stormed out of my bed, went, went over there and ripped the battery out. Oh yeah. And, and as soon everyone, as I heard you coming, I was like, Oh yeah, he's going <laughs> for the clock. He's got to be yes. the clock. He's going for the clock. Everything's cool. I'm going to be able to fall asleep yeah. just fine. I'm, I'm surprised you just didn't like nudge me like, Hey, <laughs> You can't manage <laughs> take care of that. <laughs> hey, Fertz, can you take care of that? Oh, it made a big difference. Yeah. Really uh, so did. that's my hot tip is pull the batteries out of the clock before you cut the lights. Good, good. That's very good. Especially good. when with new people. Yes. So I guess it's directed at you, actually. Well, no, it's directed, directed to at the camp manager. <laughs> yeah. The camp manager. Yeah. I, I speak to the camp executive, though. So true. I'll take my marching orders from him. Yeah. yeah. Ultimate responsibility lies with me. Yeah, I get that. Uh, Greg, do you have a hot tip? I do. Uh, my hot tip is directly directly related to kind of the situation we're in now, late season whitetails. Perfect. So if you um, fight, and I'm sure most of us do, cold feet, mm. my hot tip relates to that. What you need to do is you go basically purchase yourself the heaviest felt and or durable wool-ish fabric you can find um, and cut yourself out a piece of it that the shape resembles um, the shape of your platform and throw that down in your tree stand as a barrier yeah. between your metal tree stand and your boots um, and it will significantly reduce the amount of heat that you lose through your boots into your stand, keep your feet a whole bunch warmer. So if you can't find super thick felt, buy the cheap thin stuff, double, triple layer it, um, if you know somebody that's got a sewing machine that can sew it together for you even better, but, um, any type of felt or even I've, I've even used in the past, um, some of the rigid foam insulation pieces, mm. but anything you can get between your boots and your metal tree stand, um, as an insulation barrier will significantly keep your feet warmer. It's a very hot tip. Can I add a, can I add a plus to that? Since we're going off this like white tail mule deer kick. Yeah. Yeah. Spent a fair amount of time this year in the, you know, what? We often refer to the late season, second half of October, which where we are in Mounds, Idaho, you know, could be fully winter in terms of weather. So we're doing a lot of sitting still, a lot of glassing. Um, and I go back and forth on insulated boots, actually. I, my feet sweat real bad, so I kind of try not to run insulated boots. But when it's 20 degrees and windy, you kind of want the insulated boots and what have you. 
to Greg's point, another nifty trick. A lot of people obviously cut the closed cell foam or cut whatever, you know, a pad of some description for your butt when you're hunting in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Cut a second one for your feet. And once again, you're, you're getting your feet off the ground. You're cutting off that sort of just the flow of cold, it feels like, from the ground to the rubber, your boots. Um, and I think that's kind of a nice halfway point between having a big, heavy, insulated boot and running a, a light and maybe not quite as warm boot. Did you just steal my hot tip? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to think of it as an addendum <laughs> no, to your yeah, hot tip. That's a, that's yeah, a that's mule good. deer hot tip. A, a yeah. west-east yeah. combo. This is, the, I don't know why I thought of this, but related to insulation and sleeping bags, I've always heard, or I, I feel like I've heard that some people say it's better when you're sleeping in the sleeping bag and it's cold out. It's better not to wear a bunch of extra layers. Yep, naked stuffers versus layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do either one of you guys know anything about like what the right or the best way to stay warm in a sleeping bag is? Should you wear a bunch of layers, or do you want reduced layers? Or should you just wear base layers? Or I don't know if there's anywhere within the realm of any. Do you of our actually have the science on it before I offer my unscientific two cents? No, I think you should go first. Oh, good. <laughs> Put myself out there. <laughs> I have never really been man enough to try the naked stuffer. Uh, when you say routine. naked stuffer, what are we stuffing? So the idea there being, <laughs> <laughs> the idea there being that you shouldn't, to your point, be wearing a bunch of clothes. You should have all those clothes in the bag with you, killing the dead space. But you don't necessarily want to have them on you. Okay, is is the theory? The theory. I have never really manned up and tried that more than. An, you know, in a significant way. I just always feel like I'm plenty warm when I've got extra layers on in my sleeping bag and I don't feel a need to try the alternative. Yeah. But haven't given it probably, like I said, more than three nights of of a chance to yeah. prove itself. I usually wear a bunch of layers. Like if it's really cold out mm-hmm. and I'm in a sleeping bag, I, I, I layer up. True. Yeah, totally. But I've I've never tested the theory too, and I've wondered. I will. I try to. I don't like having a lot of buckles or zippers or, you know, uh, grommets or you know, kind of anything like that on my mm-hmm. clothes. So I'm usually in sort of soft, you know, wool layers or what have you. But I do generally keep layers on. I have started actually with our Chamberlain Puffy, our 800 fill Puffy. Last year came out with sort of what we call a you know super down jacket, for lack of a better word. Uh, mountaineering grade puffy jacket 800 fill down very very warm i've actually started taking that and when i'm not using it as a pillow if i do get super cold i'll wrap that on top of my sleeping bag almost like an additional blanket Hmm. um and that seems to help you know i'm sure maybe there are other ways that might be better to do that but i've definitely done that and seems to be seems to be a little warmer yeah i I mean now tell me i'm wrong greg no i I won't i was gonna fully admit i'm not the authority on this either because i am i'm a crazy hot sleeper Hmm. i just have never really had issues with staying warm when i sleep um so for me even when it gets really cold i'm not can't say that it's the most efficient but i'll keep a couple layers on and i'm typically fine yeah so i think the word or i i wonder if if similar to when you're exerting your like you don't want to become too terribly sweaty you want something to wick moisture away when you're hunting or hiking or anything you know is the same issue present when you're sleeping in a sleeping bag like you don't want to overheat for sure sweat it is yeah i would i would say it is yeah so i avoid that but it's hard sometimes i think you should keep wearing layers 
especially when we're sharing a pullout couch. <laughs> <laughs> Keep yeah. up with the layers, at least for one more night. No Maybe naked stuffers tonight, on the pullout Mark, couch. Yeah, you might want to try it today. <laughs> might be good. To the to the stuffing point, though, one one thing that I definitely recommend, which has been a game changer for me, is make sure whatever clothes you're going to put on in the morning, you stuff in your bag with you. Oh, yeah. Because then not only are they taking up that dead space, but they're nice and warm when you throw them on. Yeah, that's nice. You kind of pull them on in the bag or ready to get out of the bag, and yeah. that and helps I'm, a ton. Another addendum to that, I would say I sleep in sort of my core layers, and I don't take those off in the morning. Yeah. You know, so if I'm wearing long johns into my sleeping bag, I'm going to get out and put stuff on top of them. I'm really going to try and avoid taking off any next-to-skin layers or even mid-layers often because you'll just – that heat just yeah gone at 20 degrees or whatever when you get out of your bag. Another bag stuffing thought. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're going to just not make any more jokes. Um, if you happen to like step in a puddle or in a Creek or something, your socks get soaked mm-hmm. back in the day. I used to think, Oh, the thing to do is hang your socks up. Mm-mm. That is not the thing to do. The thing to do is take your wet socks, throw them in the bottom of your bag. Or if you're a real man, I suppose you put them on your torso. That's the inside dry them the quickest if you put them like on your leg or in between your long long john and your leg like in between your legs yeah i think actually i mean to 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 be uh not to be inappropriate about it but i think probably the inside of your leg is the warmest spot in terms of or you know in your the crotches of your armpits yep um i think are sort of the warmest areas that'll dry that gear the quickest won't be hmm. super pleasant to stuff a wet sock into your <laughs> armpit or into your <laughs> long right. johns, but I've definitely done it before, and it, it certainly works better than hanging a wet sock in 32-degree yeah. weather in your tent. Yeah, that doesn't not, – not too effective. Okay, so enough of <laughs> – Stuffing <laughs> things places. Yeah, the whole stuffing uh, thoughts there. Jordan, do you want to wrap us up with your hot tip? Yeah, mine is one kind of a new piece of gear this year that has allowed me to do a few new things. But if you're a photographer or even someone who's taking uh, like a new hunter out, just to give you a little bit more flexibility, um, especially on the photo side of things, is uh, try a saddle. That's Mm. one thing that I've done this year almost exclusively for for photo hunts that definitely changes the game as far as flexibility, um, either in the same tree or, you know, a different tree trying to get different, different vantage points. But it um it allows you to be a little bit more creative and sneak around a little bit versus just standing or sitting in a tree stand kind of being a little bit more stationary yeah you you definitely you're swinging around and doing all sorts of acrobatics in the tree to get different angles of your camera yep. and stuff carefully carefully slowly and carefully slowly and carefully yes you never screw things up and it seems to be a, a sort of a trend uh, or a I think maybe the correct term would be a retrend, almost perhaps the the saddle Definitely picking hunting. up momentum lately. Definitely, yeah. I've, I'm right there with you. But yeah, you've started recently on the saddle front, mm-hmm. and this year, yeah. Um, another another of our first light team guys, Taylor Chamberlain, who Jordan and I did sort of a uh, suburban hunting uh, short film on, um, hunts upwards of 150 days a year in a tree saddle. I think that was sort of a big wake up to Jordan and I in terms of the, the potential efficacy of, of the saddle hunts. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a lot easier to go hiking and wearing what you're going to be in versus carrying 15 yeah. pounds in your back yeah. extra. I mean, it saved us probably 
10 minutes tonight. Yeah, saved us time, so, yeah. saved us weight. We had a decent hike in there tonight, hanging, hunting, and it was really nice that neither one of us had to carry a stand. So yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, what's a bald eagle sound like? You got the rhythm. I, I've got I the cadence it, down. It's, the, it's a pitch thing. It's, it's pitch more of a thing. whistle, though. Wouldn't yeah, you say? It, like a, <laughs> probably. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. I heard one tonight from my from my you, vantage point here. At you the heard cabin. one in the cabin? Yeah, I went outside for a second. I heard heard one out there. They are cool. Probably the same one. They're very cool. Yeah, we saw them last night and tonight, or this morning and tonight. I can't remember. America. America. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, any concluding thoughts real quick? Any final things we want to add? Anything we didn't hit that needs to be touched on real fast? I have my two quick questions. Oh, Those yeah, yeah. Sorry. Concluders. Yeah. All right. You guys can see what I'm wearing as an under garment here next mm-hmm. to skin right what's the difference what is what are the advantages of like a merino wool over like a synthetic and and you are rocking like a synthetic and like pretty high like, well kind of high more compression type yeah, too right like a compression type um, I, greg can answer the question but my short answer is stank spelled s-t-a-n-k <laughs> <laughs> um there's so there's definitely advantage to both um, a synthetic is its pros are that it's going to dry faster. So typically, you know, when we're trying to get guys out, guys or gals, excuse me, outfitted for a hunt, um, it's largely based off of the environment that they're going to be in. And synthetics will consistently dry quicker than merinos. And inherently that's their benefit. However, what we've found is that or what we know to be true um, is that with a merino wool base layer, it's going to regulate your te- your body temperature better both on both ends of the extremes. So when it's really hot out, that merino is actually keeping you cold or keeping you cooler. And when it's really cold out, it's actually keeping you warmer. And that's a hard kind of concept to wrap your brain around until you think about where that wool comes from. That wool comes from sheep that live at really high elevations that in the summer it's really really hot and in the winter it's really really cold so that's one of the major advantages of it um the second major advantage of merino wool over a synthetic to ford point is going to be stink naturally with no additives no treatments um, nothing additional done to the fiber it resists odor at the bacteria level so it doesn't allow bacteria to grow on it and therefore three five seven days into your hunt you're going to be able to stand a you know share a sleep bag with yourself or, you know, be in a tent with a buddy or whatever it might be, um, or even just, you know, be comfortable with your overall hygiene. So that's a a big benefit of as well. And I would add that that because as Greg mentioned, it's not a treatment. It doesn't wash out. A Merino garment is not going to stink years later also, whereas a synthetic is going to start to get stinkier and stinkier to the point where it's pretty close to permanently stinky yeah, I've, I've got one I've, I've got a couple that I've, i feel like i always need to bring because i do feel like they start to build up a, a stink quicker but i've got one like i can't even wear anymore because exactly and i have three or four of those yeah. you and know? I, I just the base layers of something that i haven't invested much time or money into um but i'm starting to realize i, I think i need to make some changes because yep. I, I, i'm wearing stuff that i you know that i was I would wear growing up in sports and stuff because that's what you wore yep. right, as a base totally. there. Um, but I, I think it's – I think I need to – Do you guys know that Josh was athlete of the year in high school? In what capacity? Across the whole high school. He was the 
athlete of the year. That's impressive. That's, yeah. Uh, Especially knowing <laughs> that. Was that, was that before amazing. or after he hit the car with an arrow? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Similar time frame. It was right around the same yeah. time frame. Yeah. You kind of peaked in one yeah. capacity and bottomed out Bottom the other. Yeah. <laughs> and that was badminton, kayaking, yeah. and, and uh, table tennis? Yeah. yeah. Well, you told your dad that last week, and he was – What did he say? <laughs> he was, <laughs> Wow, judging by you now, I'm very never surprised. Never guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. Thanks, Dave. Oh. No, no, okay, so that was that was number one. Thank you. Wait, was, what sports did you play? You're uh, leaving him to hang. I'm assuming it wasn't badminton. Baseball and basketball. Okay. But. In all seriousness, like we, 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 for whatever reason, we've turned that into like a thing we mock you about. But Being actually, you should, yeah, we should no, lose your, yeah. You're, you're actually, super good at sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks. Just another reason to, to make fun of me. He played college baseball. Wow. Yeah. Um, Squash, Furter, Hilliard. <laughs> and then number two, I asked Mark this last week, and I don't think he gave me a very good answer. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, first light. Is there, a, is there a meaning behind the name? And what's the significance? Well, I think I told you. Of the logo. Because no? that's something I was like, I ask about logos. Maybe it didn't. So I don't know. Is there a significance about it? Or like, I thought it was like, the sun coming behind a mountain. Yeah, yeah, That's you got it. Light. I mean, first light is kind of when things happen in a in a big game hunting, you know, world, and and the symbol is uh, you know the sun coming over the mountains, ostensibly of uh, central Idaho where we're Perfect. where we're based. It's in. not an X and a D. Yes, <laughs> it's yep. the sun peeking over a mountain. We got a lot of that through the years for sure. Yep. That XD brand, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the pistol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, that's, that's all. Those are my two concluders. Good stuff. I uh, want to thank you guys for coming. I had a lot of fun meeting you guys. Yeah. yeah thanks this for managing us. Absolutely. <laughs> Anytime. He, he, I hope to have you guys, speaking for Mark, I'd love to have you guys back here at Mark's <laughs> camp. <laughs> I'd like to have you here to the Canyon Camp whenever you like. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I, the sentiment is felt from the first light side of things, too. We appreciate you guys hosting us, and obviously uh, – this has been productive on a, a number of levels, both product development and just hanging out and having a great time and sharing camp with a bunch of great guys. So we appreciate you hosting us and having us up here. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, it was a good time. Anything uh, anything else from you, Ford? No, it's cool as hell. It's yeah. really cool. It's special. To, it, it's, it's just special to be uh, kind of a small part of this tradition. Jordan? Yeah, Deer Camp is a special place. It's It's awesome. I think that's a good way to good way to end it, and I agree. Deer camp is awesome. Deer camp is cool as hell. And uh, from my perspective, this is a place that I've come to my whole life since I can remember. Um, but it has been so cool over the, a couple more recent years to get to share it with a few more people and get to see other people experience this place and come to appreciate the same things I've come to appreciate. You know, first bringing Josh into the fold, and that's been really cool. Now getting to you know, bring a few other people out here that uh, that has, you know, just enriched the history here even more and uh, brought me a lot of joy and, and uh, you know, just there's nothing like it. All of us sitting here chatting, our our neighbor buddy stopping by last night, telling funny stories. I mean, you can't, you can't beat that kind of stuff. Can't make Mike up. You cannot. You cannot. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up. And before we shut this thing down completely, I just want to remind you all what I said about I don't know, about an hour ago within the podcast, which is we are running a special deal on First Light. So if you heard any of this, you're interested in trying out some First Light, or you've been considering it for a while, 
you can go on over to TheMeatEater.com where we've got some first leg gear up there and available and we're offering it 20% off for those of you listening. All you got to do is use WIRED, that's a promo code, WIRED, W-I-R-E-D, to get 20% off all of that first leg. 20% off and free shipping on orders over 50 bucks. Just got to go to TheMeatEater.com, go to the shop and you'll see it all there. And with that, we will shut this down. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for being here with us. I hope you've got some great hunts still planned. I hope you're still getting out into the tree or the blind. Uh, may snowstorms and cold temperatures be heading your way so those nice mature deer will be on their feet and on the food. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.